This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. MTV's biggest hit to date, Disney's biggest failure, and Stephen King mows lawns into worlds. This week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a time travel journey uh, across three decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. We're sitting down in the week of March 4th through the 10th to tell you what happened 1992, what happened in 2002 and 2012 during that one week period. Exactly. Is everything celebrating an anniversary we're going to tell you about? Everything worth celebrating, I believe. Including <laughs> Coney 2012, which is odd to say. But uh, that is happening. Can you believe it? That's happening this year? Anyway, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who is with me. I'm Diana Goodman, and I have my 12-gauge sawed off. I've got my headlights turned off. I'm about to dust some shots off, and I'm about to dust some cups oh, off. All right, yeah. I, I checked all the boxes. That's definitely Diana. <laughs> she has not been taken over. Who else is with us? And I'm J.R. Rawls, and my birth cry will be the sound of every phone on this planet ringing in unison. Oh, good. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. This is... Man, I don't know how to describe this week other than that I'm excited. And I tend to get excited when we have something truly great or a just a wall-to-wall misfires. Like huge, oh. high-profile <laughs> failures all over we, the place. We have two movies with 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, like misfires is the nicest way I can put it. But like fascinating, fascinating failures for the most part as far as we the eye can see. Uh, television gets a little better or worse. I think we'll be able to. We're gonna, that's going to create a little bit of a discussion, and I can't wait for the, our listeners to weigh in on that. Remember, you can do so in the comments, even though very few of you do. But we also have a Facebook group, and Jr. asks a ton of great questions and polls on there. So check that out. Hey, I should give a shout out to our executive producer Christopher Hare and many other fine people at Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. Hey, give us five bucks. That's it, uh, and we'll try and reward you with more podcasts. Please check out our review of Bel Air. And our buddy, you want to know what it's like to go back to Universal Studios at the end of the pandemic? We got a new show about that. Universal Studios Hollywood, Diana. You ever been? Of course you have. Yes. Of course you have. I've been once. It's, it's, I love talking about that place. I want Robert Wagner to explain special effects to me. <laughs> Is that before or after the Battlestar Galactica extravaganza that stood there for 20 years? Not the, not the sci-fi channel show, the original show. I've only been to the Florida one. Is there any big difference between the two? Yeah, one's a working studio, and the other <laughs> one, the other one is is huge and better in far as far as rides go. Sorry, Hollywood, but like That's fair. one is Hill Valley, and the other one doesn't. One is not better than the other. That's what I'm saying. Uh, they're very different. Anyway, we'll talk more about that on patreon.com slash laser time with them. any of our executive producers over there, including Christopher Hare. 302010, March 4th through the 10th, 3020 and 10 years ago, beginning as we always do in 1992. And I hate it when we have news like this that just throws me off my game. The Michelangelo computer virus begins to take effect. And I remember this, but this is definitely 
right on the cusp of me knowing what the internet is. So like, I'm, well, it's a pre-internet yes. virus. It wow. is not being sent over the Usenet groups of the day. It's being sent via floppy disk. Yeah. So <laughs> I would put in my floppy disk and I'd loan it to you to uh, legally borrow my game, and then you would get uh, the vi- Michelangelo virus. It just, but with the advent of the internet, that even that kind of shareware would prevent something like this from happening. And you know, I don't think there were. I don't think it was trading many floppy disks that didn't have Leisure Suit Larry on them in order to get this. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I definitely, I didn't get it, but I remember like, man, was the news scared? They were very, very. These computer things get sick now. Uh, <laughs> but this is the beginning of that of us talking about computer viruses. Whereas now I feel like it's been forever since we've had a computer virus scare. Uh, it, you know, honestly, Microsoft Defender does the job. Yeah, it honestly does do most of the work in killing viruses these days. Yeah, most viruses come through hackery or you giving up your password or something like that, mm. uh, rather than a worm that infects your computer. Yeah, uh, it will yeah, be. It's been a while. It will be. There an were an- a couple that like really slowed down the entire internet and dropped a lot of shit offline. Oh. But, There's plenty I mean, of stuff I, I have, slowing down my mother's Chrome browser that I have to go delete from her <laughs> goddamn mm-hmm. extensions. I had a couple of viruses back in the early 2000s where I had to like literally reformat my entire hard drive because I could not get rid of them any yeah. other way. I, yeah. I, I just remember like being diligent once a month having to run antivirus software that you'd have to get on your own. Shout out to Adaware if they're still around. And I'd run another one on top of that. And my computer almost never worked. The last time this happened, I was using my work computer and I worked at a video game, uh, a video game publisher. I was just trying to emulate some Dreamcast games to just get some footage and see some stuff. This is not that long ago. Worst virus. I had to take it to IT and they're like, you got this on the internet? I'm like, yeah. Uh, What were you doing? Trying to play Dreamcast games? Uh Uh-huh. Like, I was. I swear. I, I don't... What? Yes, who gets viruses from porn nowadays? I don't even know. Uh, but yes, the the first big computer virus is 30 years old this week. Or at least it's proliferation. People starting to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, we've had a couple that were much smaller than this. Yeah, uh, yeah. but again, this is mainstream news. And by that, I mean the nightly news, which is a thing people used to watch. Speaking of things people used to watch, 1992, I want to just give another shout out because I never get tired of it. Wayne's World is number one at the box office. I love that movie and researching it has ruined my feed with Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, and general SNL stories and podcast clips, and I don't hate <laughs> it at improved all. Improved your feed. Uh, improved my feed, yes. None of that explains why today I'm doing research for this show, and it was just like a, a, a video of a Spanish pole vaulter with a big butt, 26 million views. I'm like, what did I do on YouTube to get me that? A six sec. Anyway, uh, moving into the movies of 1992, March 4th to the 10th, tons of movies, all hilarious failures for the most part. <laughs> they really are. They're like, I, I yeah. like uh, starting with Corey Feldman's Meatballs 4, a terrible film. A, well, so, oh, but it's the last of the quadrilogy. It really wraps the whole story <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, it, it resolves all the unanswered questions from Meatballs 2 and 3. Mm. You know, the Meatballs series is such a bizarre series because <laughs> the first film, is just a fairly tame and sweet camp movie. Yep. There's not a lot of sex or gross out stuff in it. It's it's a sweet story. Number two, the sweet guy is Bill about Murray, an extraterrestrial yeah. cheating at boxing. Yes. Three <laughs> is about a porn star angel trying to get a nerd laid so she can get into heaven. And four God is, is good. about a jet skiing camp where twenty year olds go to camp. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then they are roped into a contest so they're doing it for fun but you better do good at this camp or we lose the camp yeah it's a save the rec center movie i'm so we don't have to talk about any more meatballs movies on this show i feel like we hit almost all of them but this one i remember it 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 looks everyone if you want to see a meatballs movie just watch wet hot american summer it's yes it's kind of all that it's you'll get way more enjoyment out of that it's great. Meatballs, the first three, very, very 80s. And this is very, very 90s. And then I finally learned this wasn't a Meatballs movie until they just changed the name. It was uh... just a camp movie with Corey Feldman in it that they changed the name to, hoping it would have better prospects. And here we are talking about it. So they were right. Apparently, he was mad because originally it was supposed to be a lot more serious and less goofy. And I cannot picture <laughs> that movie. It does not. I mean, this movie has strip charades in it. You two have both played strip charades, right? I mean, that classic summertime game, strip charades. Look, that shows up in plenty of very serious and dramatic movies. You know, I mean, we just talked about Howard's End. That's got a great strip charade scene. You know, Anthony Hopkins really bringing it. Yeah. Oh, when when Anthony Hopkins played Okie Cookie. Uh, It started PG and ended in R. Does mm. any other series go that way? Did it not start in R? I mean, but like, there was a much more polite R. PG film. Okay. I don't think so. No, they usually go the other way. Exactly. Yeah, maybe only thing I can think of is Logan. (laughs) They get nine PG X-Men movies and then one really good rated R one. Yeah, in the immortal words of Norm MacDonald, I like my movies like I like my pasta. Meatballs too. And that is the only good, <laughs> the only, only good version of this in this film series. The only one you need to see the the alien, the alien boxing camp movie. It's so good. It's it's not. Meatballs so good. one is a solid film. It's got yeah. Bill Murray on it. It's an mm-hmm. enjoyable. It's like couple. Bill Murray's first starring role. And it is. It, it is the, the sole reason it's made into a qua- tetralogy quadrilogy is because it's a famous Bill Murray movie. Well, uh, the first Meatballs uh, was made for $1 million and change, and it made $109 million. Jesus. <laughs> so that's why there were four Meatballs. Wow. Ones. That is a lot. Have you ever seen that movie? Because you know where the budget didn't go? Shorts. Shortest shorts <laughs> I've ever seen in any fucking movie. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> dusting, oh, some, dusting bring some of their balls. I want men to all dress like 70s NBA players again. Really? I want the short shorts and the long socks. Diana, every every man you know is getting older. Do I need to tell you what that means and what you might end up enduring? That's why I want it. You do not want it. <laughs> if I come over, you don't have to like wash every cloth I sit on for the rest of <laughs> That's, my... That's part of the game is how long till I see balls. <laughs> I guess. Women have earned it. And then uh, another high-profile failure I did love the marketing on this. Uh, did you like Fish Called Wanda? Sort of the makers of our movie. That's a, <laughs> Bronson Pinchot and Dudley Moore uh, and Harry Potter's uncle and Blame It of the Bellboy. Um, yeah, we, we have two broad, big cast comedies that mm-hmm. both, and they both take place in like exotic locations and they both suck eggs. <laughs> Oh, this is the less depressing one, and I like Dudley Moore, and I like Bronson Pinchot, and yes. I love Richard Griffiths, R.I.P., but Blame It on oh. the Bellboy is like, no, I gave up. Jesus, both of these have really good cast, yeah. and they both they really do. suck. Yeah, and this is just like three guys with kind of similar names all check into the same hotel. They start getting the messages for each other, and one of them is like doing a mob hit, and the other one is like, romancing this lady and oh they uh, all go off on the wrong thing and then they're so confused oh a, yeah a true farce. it was awful 
a nostalgic farce not enough people were nostalgic for and probably and definitely won't be 30 years later and a movie i saw but didn't rewatch. but i just it's a really dumb question have do you remember your local video store is this something we don't see anymore mobiles mobiles Mm. little things Mm -hmm. that hang from the ceiling with the the movie's name on it and balance themselves this stood in our our local video store for an extra 10 years and i think about it all the time unreasonably because it's not a movie you should watch john heard uh cara uh, t.e russell ozzy davis brian dennehy john sadel robert loja uh sam marshall and cuba gooding jr and gladiator we skipped once upon a crime Oh, we did skip once upon a crime. Uh, we'll go. But let's get back to it. Gladiator, baby, gladiator. Tommy, I gotta fight. Lincoln, this is my ticket. Two fighters, get him from different worlds. You're mine. You fight against who I say. From opposite sides. I want us to kill each other. Their friendship broke the rules. I ain't gonna fight you. Their courage beat the odds. You don't say no to me, boy. No. They're true. Oh, uh, yeah. Not Digstown. I promise. It's Gladiator, and the reviews are terrible. <laughs> Which I think they're a little unfairly terrible. This is not a good movie, but it's an it's a very by the numbers okay. Sure, like it's like watching Bloodsport. Yeah. Well, I, I felt its problem was it was trying to be a fine steak while also wanting to be a cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you know, it was trying to be this serious movie while also being a rocky ripoff. <laughs> fun ripoff yeah karate yeah. kid yeah. rocky underdog thing with a little story about race and friendship in there yeah not recommended i would say no i wouldn't yeah. recommend it unless you want to see uh james marshall from twin peaks and brian dennehy by knuckle box at the end Ooh. that's kind of fun it, it, brian dennehy like he is an imposing guy but the second he starts like actually moving oof. you're like oh <laughs> Yeah, I think it could kick your ass. Yeah, it's greatest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's one of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s least embarrassing films, but it's his follow-up post-Boys in the Hood, and I could, I wanted more of that man, so that's why I saw this. Cuba Gooding Jr. Made yep. me and please, Oh, I was going to say, please put in the comments if you're one of the people who wanted to rent the Russell Crowe movie Ooh. and got <laughs> fucked by this Ooh. one. Oh, that'd be hilarious. Apparently, people who are really into boxing say it has a better boxing fight scene than many of the Rocky films. That yeah, no, it's just that. really well done. That's, yeah. People who are really into boxing say that. I don't know enough to comment. All right. So people who are 16 above think there's some accurate sequence. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I was kind of surprised that, you know, Rotten Tomatoes wise, this is like in the high 30s. And it's like, nah, this is more like in the 60s. Like, it's fine. You watch yeah. it start to finish. You tend to forget about it. Mm-hmm. But it's... Fine. It's just a little cliched. Uh, it's extremely cliched, but it's directed by the guy who did Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Um, <laughs> Roadhouse. And and also, uh, we skipped over Once Upon a Crime. Uh, look at this cast. George Hamilton, Giancarlo Giannini, uh, Ornella Muti, let's say, uh, Richard Lewis, Sean Young, Sybil Shepard, James Belushi, and John Candy. How do you know a comedy's bad? It's in the 1990s and has either John Candy or Jim, James Belushi in it. Yes, uh, Once Upon not a Crime. necessarily Ooh. fair, but... Directed by Eugene Levy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Who was had was in a bunch of movies with Candy, a former yeah. SCTV friend. Um, yeah, that's another one where there's like, oh, there's a bunch of couples and they're in Monaco, and someone's uh, trying to return a dog to the rich lady it was stolen from, and these people they think they're trying to steal some diamonds or some shit, and it's like, oh, you are all so funny, except you, Sean Young. But why do you cancel each other out like this? Like I, there are no jokes. It's not funny. It's Eugene Levy going for that uh, that Adam Sandler 
paid vacation. I'm going to take all my friends <laughs> to Hawaii. How can I, I figure guess. this out? I'll make a and movie. it's like co-written by Charles Shire and Nancy Myers, who just did mm-hmm. uh, Father of the Bride. All right. What right, right, right. I mean, I guess they're brought in to clean it up, and they don't do a good enough I mean, job it's, it's, it's so not funny. It's one of those lazy foreign remakes. It's a French-Italian movie. Uh, uh, yeah, there's no reason to watch this because Clue exists. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Good point. Indeed. Yeah. Once upon a time. Uh, no. Let's get to the fun bad. Oh, everyone <laughs> must must get out of the way of one of the best, can worst I, movies I've ever seen. Can I just double this... check? So, JR, you had not seen the next movie? Uh, I had right? seen it in okay. 1992, and I haven't seen it in 30 years. So awesome. my memories Perfect. were were of a very young teenager watching this film. And I, <laughs> I want to say this is the first truly excellent bad movie I've seen for the show. As, for the I can show. unequivocally recommend if you want a fun, good, bad movie, get your friends together, crack some beers, watch this sucker. Yes. And you want to know why I watched it in uh, fifth grade? Mm-hmm. We heard it had boobies. And uh, our parents, someone had to rent this for us. And like, I hear that one has boobies. Let's get it. And it does. Dean Norris, Jeffrey Lewis, Jenny Wright, Pierce Brosnan, and the wonderful, wonderful Jeff Fahey. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen King's Lawnmower Man, which I don't think I can legally say. <laughs> From Stephen King. comes another shock to the system. There's no telling how far I can take you. You get under your skin. What are you hiding? Into your system. What is it? And tear you apart. I am God here. From Stephen King comes the most terrifying film of the year. The Lawnmower Man. Terrifying? I don't know. It, it was <laughs> no. none of it was ever terrifying. No, yeah, no. Stephen King sued to get his name off this because they just took the title of a story it has nothing to do with anything, and then they and then they did it again. They took it out of the advertisements, and then when it went to VHS, they fucking yes, did I, it again. I believe, as the story goes, and you got to remember, this is following up like Misery and It. New Line has this script. It may or may not have been like accidentally also called the Lawnmower Man. But they just happen to notice Stephen King has like a four-page story about a man who's haunted by a lawnmower run by a satyr and eventually killed by that lawnmower. It's a very, very short story. They buy the rights to that because putting Stephen King over the title is more than likely going to make you a ton of... Uh, the cheapest way to launch your movie to the strat. It made us watch yeah. it. Uh, the titties, yeah. yes. But like, uh, but <laughs> but Stephen King's name could make you go see a movie, and it did, especially with this. Also, it came out at like the six month period when VR was a thing. Yes. Like when every <laughs> mall had a VR center that you could spend five dollars yes. to shoot pterodactyls for yes. two minutes. Well that, that yes. <laughs> but this this like this to me is synonymous with my life because I'm reading video game magazines and comic books and they made it a point to advertise this. Not only the video games that resulted from the Lawnmower Man, but the movie itself. So the imagery I, I encountered for like six months. Going reading as many video game magazines and comic books as I could because they were very, very to point this rated R movie out to me, a little fucking eleven year old. Oh, well, I my remember. God. I was my... gonna say some of the ads though, they really lean into this is gonna be this is the future. Yes. This is the best. This has the best computer effects since. TV. This movie does think it's the Matrix in all of. Its, oh my all god! Yeah. Oh my gosh! It really does. Yeah. yeah. Uh... Sorry, interrupt, Jr. Go ahead. Because my junior high was totally on the VR bandwagon. We were totally like, oh my gosh, this is the future. It's going to be totally like the Lawnmower Man. Yeah. And watching. Oh, it was so sad. That was a that was a graphical comparison for a long time. 
Does it yeah. look like Lawnmower Man? <laughs> and and of course there is the boobies and the sex, which was a big pull for for my junior high as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that the VR love scene in this, or not even love scene, I won't even use that word, mm. a sex scene in this film was somehow erotic. Yeah. And oh my freaking god, it is not. No. It is like yeesh. No, it's it's um, just a bunch of kids who can uh, start hooting and hollering throwing fruit by the foot of the TV screen. That's what that's what the loves. If you're jerking to this, you're already on an FBI watch list somewhere. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> what's so great is this the, the plot of the movie which is just kind of flowers for Algernon. Wow. It, it is until it takes a weird turn. So Pierce Brosnan, who is coming off a of Remington Steel, but he's not James Bond yet, mm-hmm. is a researcher for like to make war chimps. Mm-hmm. And war he chimps, gets, you know, very useful. Chimps. Yeah. And, and he he has uh, his gardener is this intellectually disabled guy played by Jeff Fahey. And he starts like giving him the drugs and they use this VR thing for like training. It'll like expand your mind, man. <laughs> and then Jeff Fahey gets like mad with power and tries to become some sort of cyber god. Yes. Yeah. The end. <laughs> and I don't know if there's an intentional molestation message in this film i don't think so but it's a hundred percent there because there's a scene where a priest is whipping a shirtless man who has the mind of a child while that man screams i won't tell yes and this is now let's go back to stephen king like i don't want my name on this i didn't write (laughs) none of these characters exist in my story take my name off this But oh, it's it's idea of like what it's kind of like Tron and that everybody's inside a computer sometimes. Yes, but sometimes. it has like no grasp on what that is. Like the whole movie, whenever he's like, "I'm going power crazy inside this matrix," Mwah! it's yeah. like unplug the bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and do you, do you mean you're big, you're... Even, you're... you mean take out the Ethernet cable? I mean, <laughs> physics, just no power source. You are done. And this movie really wants you to be scared of VR. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. really does. I mean, there's a scene uh, where Pierce Bronson's wife is going, oh, what you're falling and you're floating and you're flying. What's next? Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, eventually. Yes. But, you know, the nudity, the VR nudity is right bags of sand. So. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is. It is. It, it just, and I can't not talk about this because the movie I've for some reason seen more recently than this is its sequel, Job's War. Oh no! See, my junior high was excited for the sequel. Yeah, I, I saw it in life. theaters. I didn't see this in theaters. I saw that in theaters, Whoa. and uh, it was. It's one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever seen in my entire life. What Diana? We're all going to live in a, a VR world. Like that's what Job's War. Lawnmower Man 2 presupposes it is ridiculous and one of the worst films I've ever seen with the coolest effects. This film did have cool effects at the time, though. Like that, this was cool to look at. It's it now very silly. Away in 1992, 100%. Yes. It, it, yeah. I, I, I know effects, especially like the first 30 years of CGI, are, are never going to be things we're going to be able to say really holds up. Mm-hmm. But this is at least like rudimentary enough. And and it knows what it is. It knows that it's it's contained within VR. Uh, it's not trying to build a virtual world around you. It's like no, this is what the inside of a video game looks like. <laughs> Very Tronny. Uh, I I love it and hate it at the same time. It's one of the best worst movies you can see. 
we just loved it as kids. And now it, it, I never see it on television, but if I did, I would stop and watch it every time. <laughs> there, there's so much goofy stuff. I mean, yeah. even little things like the priest and uh, Job's lawnmower employee is our brothers. But one has a very lucky the leprechaun Irish accent <laughs> and the other does not at all. <laughs> So I guess one really tried to assimilate and the other one is like, ah, sure and be Gordon. I'd be after me lucky charms. I got kidnapped for a wee like... bit. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, movies with effects that generally hold up for their time, but the movie sucks eggs mm-hmm. is absolutely the theme of this episode. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We have a lot of effects heavy failures. And unfortunately, I think the other failures aren't as much fun to watch. Um, yeah. this at least is this is this fun is to laugh fun at. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I but we I we did a best and worst of Stephen King a few years ago in Laser Time, and this was such a fun thing. <laughs> the bad Stephen King movies are among the most fun things to watch. Mm. They really are. All of those movies. Oh, the Night Flyer. Yeah. Maximum overdrive forever, baby. That that one starring Buffalo Bill. It's just fucking hysterical about the factory that eats people. It's just wonderful. (laughs) Man, do we got to move on to television? I guess we do. I can't remember if we talked about this here already, but that's that's part of my issue with the show that debuts this week. Uh, I thought we brought it up before. We brought it off off mic, you and I. Oh, off mic, okay. But I think that, that was part of the issue is like, how do I watch this and when? How right. can I see this? And I think the, this is the only solid time you, you would know when to see George Lucas's real solid effort, first real solid effort into television with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Before the world discovered Indiana Jones. It started out as a, as a notion and turned into an idea. Before he became a legend. He was the creation of filmmaker George Lucas. What? The idea of having young Indiana Jones go on these adventures, uh, meeting historical figures, coming of age at the turn of the century. I wanted to watch this yes. so bad. I yes. was the biggest Indiana Jones fan you could be. Being a fan of something in 1992 is completely different than being a fan yeah. of it in the internet age. I got all the Indiana Jones novels. I searched around for old Indiana Jones comic books. And then I stopped because there was no way to find other Indiana Jones information or other Indiana yeah. Jones things. And then I saw some television and I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. this is my life now. And <laughs> I desperately wanted to watch every single episode of this, and I couldn't. Like, Mm -hmm. I was scouring the TV guide every single week to see when this would come on because it kept changing, kept being delayed, kept getting moved around. Mm -hmm. And if I, the biggest Indiana Jones fan I knew of, could not watch this show when I was actively trying, how on earth could a casual fan do yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like it was doomed to failure because it was very, very ambitious. This was filmed in 35 countries around the world. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of a TV show today that would do this. In many ways, this was just too early. It was too ambitious. It was, and it was too specific. You know, it was sold on the idea, these are the young and adventures of Indiana Jones. But as George Lucas said again and again and again, this is about... Indiana Jones growing as a boy and becoming a man and learning all the ideas that would form him as a person. It it was not as big of an adventure romp as many indie fans like myself really wanted. George Lucas used this in many ways as a test run for the Star Wars prequel films. He was using technologies that he'd bring to bear uh, later on. And if you look at this and compare it to 
other shows that were running at the time, this blows it away. This is such a higher budget and yep. such higher quality film and editing and everything. Uh, yeah. it, it was too some, early in a lot of ways. They got some great directors in mm -hmm. on this. Billy August, they got Frank Darabont, speaking of Stephen King. A couple of folks like, oh, shit, like, no, that's a that's a real guy. Oh, uh, not Mike Figgis. The other one, Mike Newell. They got Mike Newell in. Yeah. It did uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral later. It's like. Sure. Yeah, they got was, some great actors too who would become huge later on. Daniel Craig, Catherine Zeta Jones, lots of others. I mean, yeah. there's there's talent here. And, and uh, Harrison Ford <laughs> somewhere in yep. there. And eventually Harrison Ford. It's, it's probably like the Harrison Ford indie footage most Indiana Jones fans might not even know exists. Mm -hmm. That there's there's this little bit of indie with Harrison Ford out there in this show. Because it was uh they jump around in time. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Do you remember before Disney bought Star Wars? George Lucas was like, "What's the future for Star Wars?" He's like, "I think it's TV, but someone's got to give me two hundred million dollars an episode." And, and it was that's all he would talk about for years. Is I want to self finance a TV show, and I have to. And as a fan, I'm like, "Let him do it." Why is everybody an idiot? But the only example we had for that was this show: a self financed, mm -hmm. self released, not affiliated with a network. It, I have to explain that to people who live overseas. It's not an NBC or ABC, like, and that's why we didn't have a solid time to watch it. It was basically whenever, whatever your local station bought it and slotted in. And I remember finally finding this at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. Like, Same. is this a rerun? Is this new? It looks different from the last episode I saw, but I haven't been able to see this in months. And, and I think if it made its money back at all, all of this, all of this footage ended up in my school by the time I, you know. Mm -hmm didn't care as much and also like I'm not allowed to watch whatever I want in school what fucking year do you think this is <laughs> I can't just load up a VHS tape in my library and watch TV yeah. well I mean it, it feels like it's perfect for the day at school where they they rumble in the big TV on a oh, stand yeah. mm -hmm. because it it is part of why I liked it and why I was I'm I'm a big indie fan too, but mostly I'm a big history nerd, mm -hmm. and it's a really good like bare bones lesson on who this person is or what this time period was like, and then like go to your local library. And I think more. that's why no network wanted anything to do. Yeah, so it's, it's it is educational, it's pretty cerebral for 1992 television. Um, there's an episode about the Russian Revolution that I've personally shown to people who didn't know anything about the 1917 Russian Revolution, and I showed it to them, and they were like, oh. Now I understand that. Uh, it's it's a really well-done historical television show, and those are rare things. It had a number of problems. It did jump around in time. Mm -hmm. It would be 1908 one week, 1914 the next week, 1920 the next week. And uh, I think that was too much for a 1992 audience. Mm -hmm. um, I was so incredibly teeth-gashingly jealous of Sean Patrick Flannery, yeah. the guy <laughs> who was cast as young Indy, because I was like between, there was a really young Indy and a teenage young Indy, and I was right between those two ages, and I was just going, you know, if I had been a little older, I could be Indiana Jones. Sean Patrick Flannery got this job and quit Applebee's, where he was working, three <laughs> days before filming started. Because he didn't want to give up his Applebee's job because he wasn't sure if this was real. He then <laughs> took a plane to London and did not come back to America for six years. He spent the next six years wow. filming in 35 countries around the world as a young man on probably the most expensive television show on the planet at the time. That nobody How ever saw. <laughs> awesome. 
was his oh, experience. I oh mean, oh my God. And they're like, today you're going to pretend you meet T.E. Lawrence. You're going on a venture. Up oh, today you're going to pretend you meet Franz Kafka. We're going to Prague, everybody. And I'm sorry, Sean. Today you have to make out with Catherine Zeta Jones. I know it's tough, but you got to do it. Oh, no. Yeah. T today uh, Joe Johnston's going to direct you. Oh, today Nicholas Rogue is going to direct you while you make out with Matahari, you poor bastard. And uh, they did have old Indiana Jones at the start of every episode. He was played by actor George Hall, and he has been cut from existence. Uh, yeah. George Lucas decided old Indiana Jones did not exist. There's many theories about this. One is that it was just boring. Um, I think there may be well, a too, case it, for it, that. It sort of slammed shut the story of Indiana Jones. Like mm -hmm. he would be, have to be retconned for that new movie they just wrapped filming of uh, yeah. this week. Yeah, well, but you know, I thought it was a good framing device for a sure. TV show, but yeah. they've gone back and Lucas did. Lucas <laughs> yeah. did. Well, yeah, yeah they, they've turned them, like, if, if you want to see them now, there's like a, a DVD set where they, you know, turn them into movies. And they're tampered yeah. with, yeah. And, yeah. and, and uh, they're, they're out of print as well. <laughs> and, they're, and they're in chronological order, but not yes. in broadcast they're, order. Yep. And they do uh, cut the anyway. old indie segments, which, and they're not uh, even special features on the DVD. You have to go to YouTube for them. And wow. sometimes that does make a difference because there's an mm. episode uh, where Indiana Jones uh, saved this young African boy, and then the episode ends. But if you watch the old Indiana Jones clip, he goes on to explain that that young African child goes on to be the first prime minister of his country. That's, and without yeah. that context, it loses a little punch. That's why you call them rappers, man. Wrapping yeah. things up. Uh, but uh, final fact about old Indy. Harrison Ford is not that far away from yeah. George Hall's age when he was filming as old Indiana Jones. He's not there, but he's really not that far away either. I, I, I wish he would. Speaking of Logan, who I think is the guy directing the Indy Five, looking forward to it. I'm just like, but promise you won't do this Are again. You? Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah. For Logan, for sure. Ooh, and because, right. uh, but I love that movie. But yeah, I don't want to see Harrison Ford do. Don't do this again. Don't do yeah. this again. And again, I love teasing it. There's no way you can make an indie movie where he doesn't at one point walk past a film with Star Wars playing. Like that's <laughs> that's the age he is now. It just it just is. I I think it's taking place in 69, though, which is pre-Star Wars. Oh, are they going to de-age him? No Nazis? Yeah. What is it, Manson? Mm -hmm. All right, I'm in again. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would, I would love to find uncut, de-specialized versions of this. And it's always been difficult. I remember when they came out on DVD, and like, $200? Jesus, that's a lot of fucking two, early 2000s money. Yeah, uh, I believe they may be streaming on Paramount Plus, question mark? Uh, it is. is you it? can also okay. buy it for $20 on Amazon Prime. Yeah. No shit. Okay, I saw yep. that. I bought it for Prime, and I showed it to my son, and he got through the first set. <laughs> um, it's, it's, he hated it. Just he, saying. He loved Indiana Jones 1, 2, 3, and 4. I think I may be able to get him to watch a few more episodes of this, but it's definitely not going to be like jumping at the bit. Do you love it? Because again, Diana's favorite movies, Raid of the Lost Ark. There are there are Indiana Jones posters behind Jr.'s head right yes. now. I <laughs> adore the first three Indiana Jones movies, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. This series, I just rewatched uh, the pilot, and it's it's okay. 
I think my memory is the pilot was okay, but some of the other episodes are better. So I'm going to cherry pick and find what are the best episodes of uh, Young Indy and show that to my son and see if they hold up or not. Yeah, I, re- I yeah. really think George Lucas thought, this is where Indy lives now on television. He'll live there for years and years and years. And I'll talk like Kermit the Frog till the end of time. And- <laughs> but honestly, I, I think a rebooted Young Indiana Jones, high budget, much higher action could completely work 100 mm-hmm. percent. there's no yeah. reason that couldn't be a great yeah, series on disney plus i forget how that works because like the indie stuff's on paramount plus but disney owns that character uh um, pretty yeah. i'm pretty yeah. pretty positive so they could mount an expensive streaming series with indie in it i just yeah. think they have no interest uh which is weird because it's one of the best rides in their whole park <laughs> i've yet to ride that ride what? Uh, I was in the Indy. I've never been to Disneyland. I've only gone to Disney World. Oh, I got to show um, you this video I took with my own camera. I've been to the Japan ones, and you got to see Indy speaking Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> Longest ride in the whole park, that ride. Be cool. I, I have gone to the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular at MGM Studios a bunch of wow. times. And that was I was picked as one of the oh! audience members. <laughs> yeah. How special. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. I started chanting, go, Indy, go, and then I had a cast member come over and shush me <laughs> uh and then on uh, march move on and i don't want to because i could talk about indiana jones all day drexel's class ends um i assume people are sad but i only watched the one episode with problem child in it there did you ever see the episode with tupac no <laughs> i am not making this up tupac appears on drexel's class the, yeah the dabney coleman vehicle yes okay yeah. and uh yeah this was always you know uh, meant to be a bit of simpson filler a uh series where it's what if a teacher but dirty mm. and young me ate that up it's unwatchable i tried to watch an episode <laughs> they're not available anywhere except youtube and uh don't yeah it's no scorch man scorch <laughs> hope you guys all enjoyed scorch last week uh the powers that be debuts this week as well uh, this is a uh, Washington, D.C. comedy. It's got a Oof. pretty awesome theme song. Uh, the roof is caving in. The money's running out. The little fish are drowning in the sea. But everything's okay. That's what they tell me. I've got faith in the powers that be. Thank you, Norman Lear. Jesus Christ. Uh, but David Hyde Pierce is in this, and mm-hmm. he totally plays a proto-Niles Crane. It's about Washington, D.C. and how bad people are there, and yeah, you can write the joke. From yourself. Norman Lear, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the transition from the Bush years to the Clinton years, so mm-hmm. from some type of historical perspective. I don't know. There might be something there. Well, I'm just I'm impressed that it's created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman, who are names that you see the creators of Friends. So mm-hmm. Those names are burning in my brain forever. And eh, give them a couple of years. This uh, goes like oh, two half seasons. We're not that far away, are we? Wow. No, we we are not. The cast on it is another like, this cast is amazing. What happened? Mm-hmm. John Forsyth, Holland Taylor, <laughs> Peter McNichol, David Hyde Pierce, Lil JGL. Wow. Yeah, what the hell? And uh, I wouldn't say counter-programming because this is on HBO, but... Um, it's hilarious to think of it that way. Your stuffy white sitcom juxtaposed mm. the debut the very same day of Deaf Comedy Jam, a Damn. 
show was really easy for little kids to love because on a language level, this was dirtier than anything we'd ever heard in our entire <laughs> lives. Of... HBO was the only place that could ever have something like this in 1992. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a true pleasure. And uh, those first couple seasons are real fun. And then, man, it gets real weird towards the end. Just a bunch of comedians you've never heard of. And mm. it's mostly yeah. like renowned for being foul. And yeah. that yeah. kind of true. runs but, its course. But finally, you know, it was kind of like Showtime at the Apollo, but just for stand-ups. Mm-hmm. In the, and Showtime at the Apollo, if it ran in your area, it ran like after Saturday Night Live. Yep. So it was, yeah, a showcase for black comedians for a black audience yeah. and then you know white kids could watch it too and be like you, he's you'll never PR lame. you'll never guess who criticized this Ooh, rush limbaugh Ooh, probably but i don't have confirmation on that <laughs> i'm sure he did george hw uh, bush bill cosby oh no yes no yes. bill uh did the show's legacy not stand the test of time mm. <laughs> never mind i can't hear you you can't see me uh, Dave Chappelle also said that it made audiences expect black comics to be dirty, which hmm. may be a fair criticism. You know, the Chris Rock show would constantly make fun of this because it came on afterwards during its mm-hmm. kind of waning years, and would do ESPN style commentary over the jokes. <laughs> and 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 then when he's jerking off the dick with his titties. It's like it's supposed to split, and it's drawing it on the screen uh, <laughs> like sports commentators. It was. Yeah, I, I'd like to see it come back, but like, I guess why? There's plenty of other places to see stand up now. It's just, you could see a lot of stand ups. And I, I kind of hate that Netflix format. Netflix has the stand up model down pretty well. We yeah. get mm-hmm. uh, the best stand ups we can con- find. We give them an hour. Boom, you're happy. Except I feel like that's, they're slowing down on that. Or either, either Are they're slowing down and showing me that. Because I, I tend to go to their, like, what's coming Could it out? be a massive virus that hit the entire world <laughs> and maybe they stand up a little harder to do? I maybe? have seen Look recent Netflix out. specials filmed during the pandemic. Um, I've seen those, yeah. They're they different, Bar-Gates, though. They don't have the vibe of a giant audience all laughing along. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult. Well, there's always Bo Burnham special. Moving on to, what, an eerie Indiana episode? This is... <laughs> uh, this episode is considered to be one of the best episodes of Eerie Indiana. Uh, it's about how there's a Harvest King and you're chosen, and then none of the kids who are chosen ever come back. And everyone says <laughs> they went to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and this is showing that Eerie Indiana was not afraid to get as dark as a 1992 kids show could get because kids die in this kids are in danger. It's a complete kids in bicycle show. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really well done. I showed it to my daughter and she fell in love. She wanted to go episode after episode. And uh, as we'll get to later, I also showed her the second most expensive film of all time this week. And yeah, we'll mm. get to that. Oh, right. <laughs> and she noped out of that after a half an hour. But <laughs> this pretty cheesy but well done 1992 show made for like a buck 50 enraptured her. Another, another show uh, I could never figure out where and when it was on. Yeah, it's another yeah. one. That's a problem. There, there was a tonal problem uh, because if you play the clip, you'll see what it was paired with. What happens to the one kid who gets to set his watch back? Hey, where is everybody? Sunday is a very eerie Indiana. Then it's the Torkelsons, and Kirk <laughs> gets an eyeful. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh! 
Oh, puke on my shoes. All new NBC Sunday. The, the, the twerkle, the twer- and the twerkle <laughs> sounds would last so much two, longer. Those two things do not get together. I mean, this show is Twin Peaks meets the X-Files meets the Twilight Zones for kids. How does this not get a reboot? It wow. should 100% get a reboot. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, it inspired Gravity Falls also. Oh, that makes so much sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and where, can I, you stream how did I anywhere? not put those together? Is it streaming anywhere? Or do you have to buy it? No, it's not. It might be on the it. Roku channel and YouTube for free. So yeah, yeah, just there's always that. On free on Amazon Prime, the Roku channel. All right, but moving quickly into the video games, we'll talk more about these when we pick up our monthly video game series, the Video, video Game Apocalypse Boys. Wizards and Warriors Three is out. Is that an Iron Sword, and that's the second one. Kuros. Visions of power. Bit open world, but you're still getting that super annoying floaty jump thing from the Wizards and Warriors series, which I just can't it's not a good get series. used to. Yeah. Uh, there, but there's three character classes, and you can customize your character with buying stuff. And I, I want to say to our listeners, all of these games are NES. Such yeah. as Fisher-Price, Firehouse Rescue. Okay, you're familiar with a long play, right? That's where you go on YouTube yes. and it shows you the complete game from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Guess how long the long play for Fisher Price Firehouse Rescue is? Oh, I know mm. uh, my buddy can complete Where's Waldo in six minutes. So it's got to be longer than that, right? Eight minutes? No. Five minutes, 30 seconds. Five minutes, 30 seconds! <laughs> I mean, and that's, you, uh, and that's not speed running, right? That's <laughs> no, that's not speed running. That's normally. long play. Yeah. You will experience everything there is in Firehouse Rescue. And there's no fires in Firehouse Rescue. <laughs> I want to say that. I cannot imagine being a kid in 1992 and getting your one video game for the next six months until Christmas comes around. It's your birthday. Here's Firehouse Rescue. I played it. It's done. It's five minutes. Well, keep playing that same five minutes for the next six months with no fire. It's so strange. Looking at the graphics, like it's based on that Fisher Price line of toys where that has the approximation of people, but now it's a game. So you have an approximation of approximation of people, and they just look ridiculous. You know, the little guys with no arms and no legs, just pegs. Anyway, moving on. G.I. Joe, The Atlantis Factor, a game I forgot existed because I thought there was only one G.I. Joe game on the NES, and it sucked. Uh, this is from Capcom. Don't know anything else about it. It's it's okay. Nah. Yeah. What about Ghoul School? Really super bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like Zelda 2. If the whole game was a dungeon in which you had poor controls, like if you were playing Zelda 2 with oven mitts, that's <laughs> kind of what playing this game feels like. Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back is also out this week. and I, I... Frustrating and not fun, yeah. but I want to throw this out there. I think it has the best voice of any NES game. Yeah, the NES, This it was a huge deal to hear your NES games talk, but they really couldn't say much. It was usually like one word. At the end of the Tiny Toons game, you just hear the buzzer go, boop, boop, and that's the extent of the speech the game was capable of. But it was speech, so I, I did not get to play this game. I didn't find the first Star Wars NES game until like years after the NES was like not being produced. Uh, this is my height of my Lucas fandom. So I did play it mm-hmm. and I was bitterly disappointed, mm-hmm. but uh, play that clip so our listeners can hear the best speech the NES was capable of. The force is with you, young Skywalker. That is not bad because that's... It's- it's incredible for the NES is what I'm yeah, saying. Even <laughs> those lightsaber that sounds, good. that's not a sound the NES can naturally make with, what do you call it, its instruments. That is a sample, which the NES could barely do. 
Uh, I did not know that at all. Damn. Damn, you think George Lucas would prioritize his video Star Wars video games a little more, but he's pimping his Indiana Jones show this week, so he's a busy, busy man. Uh, and then moving on to music of 1992, March 4th through the 10th. To Be With You by Mr. Big is still number one, but we got new releases, including the self-titled debut of Ocean Color Scene, Chickism by Chick, or Chicism by Chic? I don't know who this is. Chic. Chic. Hypocrisy <laughs> is the Greatest Luxury uh, by the Disposable Heroes of a Hypocrisy. That is, is that a real? That's not like the Flight of the Concords hip hop group. <laughs> no, hip hop. Not this, not the hip hop potamus. Uh, Doppelganger by Curve, uh, self-titled by Kings X, is out this week. Walking in London by Concrete Blonde, self-titled the self-titled album by Body Count, uh, which released in two versions, one with Cop Killer. Then the controversy predictably exploded, so Ice T voluntarily pulled it off of the album. So we're going to close mm-hmm. out with Cop Killer. <laughs> yeah, which That's so tame. this is so the this was like. I mean, we were into the very, you know, putting parental warnings on albums and stuff like that. But the fact that it was Ice-T mm-hmm. made that everyone, they called it gangster rap because gangster rap is just taking off now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just one of those things where it's like, you clearly have not listened to the thing. It's a bad punk song. Okay. Yeah. Body Count is a rock band. That's why it's a separate thing from Ice-T. But great, great sketch comedy. <laughs> yeah, officer. That's what I was doing. Oh yeah, drop and give me. <laughs> he did the same yeah. voice for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this opens with him just saying, "This is a message for the LAPD." For Thirty seconds of him just slowly saying, "I'm sick of getting pulled over for no reason." Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's fair. But then you there's the whole tell song. Tell me that the 1992 LAPD commits systematic racism. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, give us a month or two. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone's about to find out about. Oh boy. Oh dear. Yeah. Um. No. I mean, it's like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, your song is called "Cop Killer," and it's all about how much you want to kill cops because they're cops and their families are sad and you're happy about it. Like, you knew. You knew. You knew. Mm. I mean, uh, yes. Well, we're going to close out with that, aren't we? I think we should see close if, out with see that. If, uh, see if we can get pulled from uh, from our services, because we're very controversial here at 302010. But uh, don't move, people. we got a lot more odd, odd, odd choices in the <laughs> entertainment industry to talk about when we get back from this short break. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. 
Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash funny by jennifer lopez featuring ja rule it's number one this week do they always have a number one song on at some point this year jesus <laughs> what were they seeing each other and did i miss that welcome to 2002 is what i should be saying march 4th to the 10th check out these new <laughs> music releases what a confusing and great album title reinventing axel rose the debut of against me <laughs> uh, fantastic the 11th hour by jars of clay uh, one of the few Christian bands I remember kind of, uh, what do you call it, reaching out and spreading over to rock radio. Icons by Naughty by Nature, still doing it. Uh, the OPP oh, yeah. Guys. They, they break the uh, the top 100. Really? I was shocked. And it's, it's a good song. That's because it's also out the same week, week as, uh, well, 1919 Eternal by Black Label Society and In Search Of by NERD, which you just don't think of them coexisting at the exact same time. No. It feels like there's 30 years between them. Anywho, 2002, March 4th news, Switzerland votes yes on joining the United Nation. Oh. Neutral no more. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. You know, Switzerland recently did a non-neutral move. Yes. This was definitely them, you know, tipping their toes <laughs> of not being completely 100% separated. So I think according to just the Swiss, and I never say this about anybody, Vladimir Putin is worse than, worse than Hitler. Uh, they, they, <laughs> just, Yes, 2002, but then back to 20 years ago, 2002 movies. Um, is this an actual movie, Festival in Cannes? Yeah, it's it's an actual movie. It's by Henry Jaglum, so there's a lot of just sort of standing around talking, and it's about, you know, a couple people trying to make deals at the Cannes Film Festival. It's supposed to be one of his more accessible movies, just because there's actually talking about things, and it's kind of neat to be like, oh, I'm at Cannes, like, they filmed it during the 99 Cannes Film Festival. Oh, so it's so I was like, well, that's kind of neat. A fly on the wall and a fart-sniffiest movie of the week. Um, yeah. But also out this week, uh, Tommy Fl- Flanagan, I'm pronouncing it like John Lovitz, uh, Ava Mendes and Mike Epps, and of course, Chief Republican Ice Cube and All About the Benjamins. Cube, Epps, two unlikely partners, but I'm the boss. Okay, partner. I mean boss. You the boss. 20 million in stolen diamonds. Just shoot out the back tire. Who you think I am? Mel Gibson? 24 hours to collect. Got a plan. Trust me. That wasn't part of the plan. Improvise. Mm. On March 8th. Look at your hairline. You ain't got a four head. You got a five head. It's all about the Benjamins. I'm getting earrings like Alan Iverson, fool. Put them back. Rated R. I didn't bother rewatching this. Did What's mm. the best thing we can say about all about the Benjamins? Mike Epps is not too annoying. Yeah, I mean, they're it's it's a buddy cop comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, there it's like Rush Hour with less action mm-hmm. or Lethal Weapon or uh, 
bad boys with less action and it's like eh, it's, well, we've been here we've we've been here we've seen it done better it's true but it's but, a, it's right. ice cube has made so much money for new line cinema following friday that he's kind of mm-hmm. seems to be able to write and he wrote this movie so seems to be able to make whatever he wants with them and they're they cost so little they become incredibly profitable yeah, so it's good on it's for fine that. whatever it's, yeah it's kind of like how i feel about gladiator <laughs> just like it's fine you know exactly what it is. If you're expecting what you're expecting, then you're going to get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. In, in, in those terms, the next movie was, for me, a rousing success because I expected to hate it, and I don't. Uh, <laughs> it, I don't hate it because uh, I really, yeah. really, really love the original because I grew up with that film. But uh, we also got number one at the box office this week, Jeremy Irons, Orlando Jones, Mark Addy, Samantha Mumba. And Guy Pierce, who I may just have a soft spot for Guy Pierce movies. Name a bad Guy Pierce movie. It's the time machine. The time machine. His ideas, time travel, were ahead of their time. Well, his theories tested the limits of imagination. Where do you come from? I'm from the past. But his greatest invention took him 800,000 years from home. On March 8th, experience the greatest journey through all time. The Time Machine. Rated PG-13. Oh, The Time Machine. Uh, Am I the only one who grew up watching George Powell's The Time Machine all the time? I fucking loved it. I, Uh, I really like it, yeah. I never saw it until this week when I watched it uh, in combination with this film. You are so (laughs) studious. Did you see the best thing someone like you can see watching the original Time Machine is to see Alan Young trying out his Scrooge McDuck voice? (laughs) I did notice that because I'm a huge DuckTales fan, and that's stood out very Yeah, Wilbur from Mr. Ed in a Scottish accent for no reason in that movie, but you would end up hearing that voice for 40 years following that movie. And the time, Guy Pierce of the Time Machine, I again like the Count of Monte Cristo. Like, oh, I expected this to be terrible, but it is like mm. it, it's old timey with a little bit of new flash and uh, just the just the right amount. And I, I don't know. I, well, it, it has some it has some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we should definitely point out it's directed by Simon Wells, who is mostly an animation guy, mm-hmm. but is also the great grandson of hg wells yes, yes. <laughs> so he goes from five will goes west to this <laughs> and hg wells is referenced in this movie mm-hmm. as writing the time machine yeah like they're exploring alternate realities they even mention the movie the time machine that i was just talking about uh, yeah, confusing um... because if it was just about a time machine that's one thing but he goes into the future and it's the same future as in hg wells is the time machine and the movie the idea that humanity has split into two different species now and there's the eloi who are just you know regular old humans who somehow haven't they haven't changed in eight hundred thousand years like do you know like twenty thousand years ago humans were different okay i think the explanation for that is that the morlocks are farming them you know and that's what's keeping them from changing that they Hmm. they kill anyone who might uh, change them at least you know in the original time machine uh movie you know it's very clear that they're making the eli pacifist and not mm-hmm. able to do anything here i think you can kind of interpret it that way because they're like hunting them specifically there's yeah. no old people you know True, it's a bit of a they, stretch they do have like a society and stuff like they seem to live on their own most of the time you know well, they're not like just human cattle quite as mm-hmm. much as they were in the 
the uh, original film version. And um, I do want to cool. point out that, you know, the idea of the Eli and the Morlocks is literally a parable about the poor eating the rich. Mm. Because originally in the Time Machine novel by H.G. Wells, it was the poor going underground, becoming these brutish people, and then the rich staying above ground, and then the Morlocks who were underground going up and eating the rich. Which is, and it's a good, it's, Mm. it's a good metaphor. And it's interesting, the idea of humanity evolving in these different directions that, yeah, if some people lived underground because of ecological calamity, then yes, they would evolve into different kinds of beings. In this case, they've got cool makeup with like, you know, little, it's, it's practical effects. They have little motorized and stuff Mm -hmm. and it's pretty impressive, but they also mix practical and CG and like. The difference is pretty big. So uh, originally, the special effects people were told that the Morlocks are only ever going to appear in the dark, and you're Mm. never going to see their full faces. And then I really think uh, Lord of the Rings came out, and they were like, no, we got to show their entire faces, just like the Uruk-hai. And Mm. I think that was a mistake, because this is not that level. There are some... impressive parts of it the time machine the actual time machine in this movie yeah was at the time the most expensive prop in movie history wow oh that i did not i don't hear. know if that's been since superseded but at the time it was the most expensive prop and it um, looks great i'll give it them looks that amazing it, i mean it very looks steampunk a couple of other things there was an originally a sequence of the moon crashing into buildings in new york but it was cut oh. because yeah. of 9-11. I, I want to yeah. say this movie was shelved for a full year due to both yeah. that and reshoots yeah. and, you know, kind of became like something most critics shrugged off because like, eh. Yeah. Well, it has some good sequences and it's, you know, definitely very indebted to the, the 60s film. And, you know, and some, some of that's good. I mean, all the sequences of of the landscape changing as he you know moves through time and you see you know rivers changing and buildings Mm -hmm. you know being built and then falling down it's like yeah that's it all looks great and they did a really good job with like actually trying to figure out like how would this erode and how would manhattan change and all that stuff the actual plot is fine (laughs) it bugs me so much that like why is jeremy irons in this because Jeremy Irons is like the be head Mr. Exposition. Right. To tell <laughs> the audience instead of showing the audience. That's his so, job. So I mean the Morlocks are, you know, these these creepy brutish mole people, but I guess Edgar Winter's in charge of them. And <laughs> there's humanoid, white skin, long, white haired guys, but they're also like psychic kinda. Ooh. What? What do we what do we do? It was a yeah. tonal shift. It started as a good sci-fi movie and then it turned into a kind of a cheesy horror film. Yeah. Yeah, or like a just a popcorn action movie. But you know, yeah. the original kind of did that too by its standards. Yeah. It so gets... it's like overall I, I'm not a fan, except for yeah, the time travel stuff, which now you can look that up on YouTube, so I don't know why you need to watch the whole movie. Yeah. The final thing I want to throw out about this film is that if you travel 800,000 years into the future, it's almost like you're no longer a time traveler and more like you're an astronaut landing on an alien planet. I mean, everything is so disconnected. If you have a fucking thing to land on, that would I'd be most terrified of just falling through the earth. That doesn't exist anymore. Whoops-a-daisy. <laughs> yeah. And just, I mean, 
uh, for plot reasons, of course, there's machines that have lasted 800,000 years and they work fine. And uh, my favorite thing is, you know, when she meets the Eloy lady and she speaks English and like, how do you speak English? Oh, I learned it from like looking at a bunch of concrete signes. And it's like, that how would, would that teach you the sound? Not, I can show teach you, you the sound. linear yeah. B Greek. And we've been spending centuries trying to figure out what it means. And we don't have a freaking clue. So yeah. 800,000 years. Eight hundred thousand years yeah no humans should have evolved differently we should be well past oh i found a stop sign now i know what it says but see they they had an ancient computer and they should have had that ancient computer be the teacher of the tribe right that should have been his job he should have been like i'm an ancient computer i've had nothing to do I'm just teaching these kids because it's something for me to do after 799,990 <laughs> years. Yeah, no, 2002 time machine. It's like, eh, okay, I guess. Yeah, uh, here's another theme of the episode of really, really expensive adaptations uh-huh. of early sci-fi. In, that- no. Maybe don't hold up. Substan- a substantial failure as well, but like mm. kind of the most... <laughs> The, the most recommendable movie of the week. Just um, about, man. Ooh. Yeah. Are you counting TV movies? No, there's no. A there's a TV movie coming a up in a second. Recommend for me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that, that, it should just be in the movie category, but sometimes that's just how it shakes out. This is definitely a big TV project. And with that, we can move into television. Um, what? The TV movie? The Naudette Brothers were making a uh, doc on... Oh, so it's just called 9-11. There were the Naudet Brothers right. and two French documentary filmmakers who mm. are making a documentary about, like, what's it like to be in the fire department in New York? And they were out filming when 9-11 happened. Oh. And a lot of the footage that you see of, like, the plane hitting the building was them. Like, if you have, there's footage of, like, there's some firefighter doing something with, like, a gas leak on the street. And then the camera zips up real fast and you see the plane that was them yeah. filming this documentary so they were already embedded with these guys and they got very 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 ter- terrifying on the ground i think like version. so quickly cameras became so accessible to everyone we ha- all have them in our pockets now that we forget the footage we see of 9 11 if, if if you were if you had a camera and you were filming the twin towers when 9 11 occurred there's there's so few instances of that being possible you should be a suspect because yeah we didn't all have cameras then they were huge and i i forgot all about this documentary yeah so it's i mean it's a it's a tough watch there's the point where they go back to the firehouse and when the firefighters lowers the flag outside to half staff and says like i'm never fucking doing that again and you know they've been with these guys for a while and i wish it were easier to find but it's just called 9-11 and unfortunately there's a bunch of things i just i just googled 9-11 movie and like back slowly away from my computer thinking loose change is going to stream out (laughs) into our (laughs) podcast you want to talk tonal shifts disney channel movie this week cadet kelly (laughs) hillary duff christy carlson romano uh no relation to ray uh gary cole and sean ashmore is this something oh, this girl has to go live at a military academy because her stepdad's in charge there and then it turns into i think a cheerleading movie yeah oh <laughs> a gi jane meets bring it on i love it yeah there's such fantastic dialogue in it oh I promise we'll be best friends always and forever i promise anyway i'm not going i promise you won't like it more there than you like it here no chance of that they wear uniforms they go to school where they learn about military strategy. They sit in desks. Ah, 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 ah. No. Yes. 
what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> oh listen to the whole thing. There's like 30 seconds of, uh, uh, uh. uh. It sounds like a Japanese AVI star. <laughs> <laughs> Cadet Kelly. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. Hopefully it's on yeah. Disney+. Plus. But it was, it was like a huge hit that week. Was it? I mean, like, I'm really out of the, the Disney Channel loop at this point. I know. And I mean, I think it made Hillary Duff a star with Disney folks. Before Lizzie yeah. McGuire? See, look yeah, at that. Yeah, I think before Lizzie McGuire. Flexing my knowledge there. And then the next movie I have to talk about is an HBO movie, but like, I feel like HBO, it's streaming on HBO Max, but it's like, I feel like they should treat this a little more like, you know, Angels uh, Angels in America, and no, uh, the band played on, because this is a really important movie, and I watched not the whole thing beforehand, but The Laramie Project, uh, one of the most astounding cash you've ever seen mm. to make a very ambitious film about a very important subject. The subject being the hate crime that occurred to Matthew Shepard in Wyoming. Um, but look at this cast, ladies and gentlemen. So I try not to dwell on that bit of tragedy. Summer Phoenix, Michael Emerson, uh, Mark Weber, Francis Sternhagen, Lois Smith, Christina Ricci, Cameron uh, Mannheim, uh, Margot Martindale, Amy Madigan, Laura Linney, Terry Kinney, Joshua Jackson, Bill Irwin, Janine Garofalo, Ben Foster, Peter Fonda, Clea Duvall, Jeremy Davies, Nestor Carbonum, uh, Steve Buscemi, Clancy Brown, Tom Bauer, and Dylan Baker, and more. It's... Mm. A movie about making the movie that's p- part narrative documentary, which I just haven't. S- s- you feel like you've seen that more often than you have, other than like Blair Witch Two. I can't think of like when have we seen these pe- a fake documentary being made? Yeah, because it's and, about it, it's the play, but it's also about, about making the play. making the play, which was about going to talk to people in and around Laramie, Wyoming, who you know some were directly affected like matthew shepherd's parents and some just you know uh different pastors in the area different students around you know his classmates at college and and you know how does homophobia affect everybody is really the point is that hate affects everybody you know to have this horrible crime happen right in the middle of what seems like good old small town america and yeah it's it's super moving um I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's, I watched it's, it today. It's just very, very engrossing because you do kind of forget that you're watching actors and you feel like they're just all these people in this town and how right. they're, you know, affected or start to think about how how is this affecting their behavior and what have they done to, you know, make the climate okay for homophobia. And right. the play is still, you know, performed and um, schools try to ban it. Yeah. I mean, like just, uh, you know, the same way. There's a certain sect in our, our country that like to ban inconvenient facts and truths. <laughs> and like, I, I do like that aspect of the movie. These nice people who don't want to be asked about the worst thing that ever happened in their town. It's mm. sort of understandable. But then like some of those lines from Steve Buscemi, like, I don't know if you could even get in a movie because it's just like his depiction of casual Wyoming homophobia circa 22 years ago is so jarring to the ears, but that's mm. how it was. And we've changed, we've come a long way uh, since when the Larry Me project was made, but I think many people would say not far enough and it's, it's worth watching now. I think it's still perfectly poignant and would, yep. that is the movie we should probably recommend above all the other crap we'll talk about this week. Oh, Larry yeah, project absolutely. on HBO max. So I love that. Westboro Baptist Church came out and protested mm-hmm. Matthew Shepard's funeral, like they yep. like to do to get attention. And then that's in the play. And then they protested that. And then that's in the movie. <laughs> and then they protested that. So like 
<laughs> oh my gosh. They need to make like a video game now. <laughs> <laughs> just a stupid Westboro, like the three guys from Westboro Baptist with their signs. It's, it's, and it's like, well, I'm going to play the guy playing the guy being a dick. If, if you think progress hasn't been made, I do like that we're all completely unfazed by those awful Westboro Baptist people. Like, it just go away. Do you even still to do be this? Fair, they were always this like tiny, tiny thing. Yeah, they yeah. were not a major church at all. But they, they were. were they like, were like. I remember I, guys at their height. I worked at a, mm-hmm. at a British company, and they did a documentary about them. And to them, it was like a documentary about ghosts. Like, are these people? Was that real? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, sadly, but it's like not. It's not everybody, man. <laughs> it's not every. I mean, again, not all Americans. 320 million Americans. Oh my gosh, I found 20 that are complete assholes. That, that How could this have happened? Show up protesting every <laughs> soldier's funerals and, and gays funeral, gay yep. funerals. It's fucking weird. I don't know what a gay funeral is, but I'd, if you can invite me to one, I'd love to go. It sounds um, great. It sounds great. I, I'm sure brunch is definitely involved. I really struggled saying that with like, so do I say a gay's funeral or gay funeral? Either way, it sounds mm-hmm. like some, a character in the goddamn Laramie Project. Uh, a, another stupid... Yeah thing for me i was like i bought this on dvd um when it came out because i liked it so much and i think like all the pro- bunch of the proceeds went to fucking charity i think this is still a laramie project charity but i realized i didn't put it on my shelf because it's in the old wonder brothers snap case and i deemed those too ugly to take out of the box for limited shelf space and i felt <laughs> bad about it now anyway moving on to a, a television show i caught at the very end but liked very much because it was my introduction to Zach Galifianakis, but they didn't use his full name. It was Late World with Zach. That's what they called yeah, it. Zach. Everyone in 2002 <laughs> knows who Zach is, and, right? And I assure you, he was kind of the most unlikely looking late night host. You can imagine, he didn't ha- even have his full beard in some of the episodes, but he's a little pudgy, a little unshaven, uh, and very, very weird. <laughs> and I remember really liking the show. <laughs> I remember really liking the show, and I don't know if everybody's going to find this as funny as me, but whenever I think about it, it makes me laugh, because for some reason, he dressed horribly, and is dressed in this scene with tight pants over his gut, with his shirt tucked in, and you can just kind of see everything, and I think he's on purpose, and he's not saying anything, and Janine Garofalo comes on, she's like, I'm a friend, but I'm going to help fix this show, so she's pretending to be a giant bee, and dressing down Zach Galifianakis, and I heard a term that I'd never heard on television up until this point. Here, somebody's coming. First of all, that's got to go. Okay. Uh, secondly, Reese's Bites and the trail mix. Right. As you know, I'm on a very strict Atkins diet, right. and that's carbs, and I don't appreciate okay. the water can stay, okay. and you can go. Now, I also need some cleaning supplies because, as I said, this will not stand. This is just... It's tacky, you know? Uh, it's, it's just shoddy, and it's amateurish. Do you know what I mean? I know it's a new show, but this is just, uh, it's tacky. Do you know what I mean? It's just tacky. I set up an espresso bar for your casting crew. I was up all night chopping crudite for your casting crew. And then I get in here, and I'm confronted with Exhibit A. All right? It's just, and then I got to talk to a man with a camel toe. That's, that's what they send me. The host of the show, Mr. In, in Charge of VH1, uh, comes to speak to me with what I consider a very disrespectful camel toe. I've never heard <laughs> But in the background is Zach Galifianakis with his gut sticking. It was it was Zach Galifianakis with his gut sticking out, looking confused. But you can clearly see his cock through his tight pants. <laughs> and I thought this was hilarious, so I made it a point to tune into this show, and it would last for one more month. It was not on the air very long. I think the middle of the summer you'll see the end of Zach's world. But VH1's foray into late night 
daily programming. On TV shows the rest of the country was watching, but not me, ER, Secrets and Lies. This is considered one of the best episodes of ER. It mm -hmm. starts out like a wacky sitcom. Uh, the ER doctor finds a uh, patient's bag. Uh, the patient is a female dominatrix, and the bag oh. is filled with sex toys. So they start goofing around, and they open it up, and it's like, oh, ha, ha, look at all these sex toys. And then their boss comes in, and they all get assigned to mandatory training. Yep. And they, uh, the rest they of all the episode— have to go. It's like a day-long— sexual harassment seminar exactly their instructor is late because of a chicago snowstorm so they're stuck there by themselves very much a breakfast club situation where they have to talk and they mm -hmm. start sharing their personal intimate histories and uh gets pretty intimate come on oh my god you're still a virgin i was 11 11 years old really how old is she i don't know 25 you're kidding me <laughs> She was one of the maids. Did you pay her? My parents did. To have sex with you. To be a maid. <laughs> Hope you gave her a hell of a Christmas bonus. Eleven. Eleven. You know, Ooh. eleven. It's definitely being played for laughs in 2002. He looks deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, eleven is not a healthy age you're um, not really hitting puberty at 11 no. still i mean yeah. we shouldn't support hey, this but hey. i was literally praying for it at the time ah. <laughs> oh. called statutory because you're yeah. too young to give consent even if you want it yeah um, that's the yep. whole thing hey hey preview for the next segment you know what the name of that character is what john, john carter carter oh god oh god <laughs> god damn it um, all comes together. I have not yet begun to bitch because this is the <laughs> this week also marks the end of Baby Blues, the comic strip adaptation <laughs> on the what is it the WB? I forget because basically I saw all this on Adult Swim, like most other Adult Swim viewers did for the next four years. Adult Swim played twenty episodes of this show over and over again. It's a hilarious. It's not show. bad. Anyone who hasn't checked it out, I really recommend it. I uh, I really appreciated how they had. Bare Naked Respect Ladies theme the song? Dad. Oh. <laughs> Many times in sitcoms, you know, you've got the Fred Flintstone, uh, Homer Peter Simpson. Griffin, Homer Simpson. The dad is dumb. He's stupid. Uh, this one, it's got a dad who's really trying. He's not perfect, but you can really see he puts his wife and his family first, even as, as he deals with his own insecurities. Mm -hmm. And it's funny as hell. Yeah, hmm. it's not a bad show. I always like the comic. It's it's like quintessential yeah. 90s design. I love it for that. It's uh, been around since 1995, still in publication, still babies uh, somehow after all that time. So uh, those boys of yours are quite a handful. Oh, yeah. But as Hemingway said, you got to do four things to be a man. Father a son, fight a bull, plant a tree, and... Uh... Get drunk and blow your head off? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Mike clip. O'Malley and uh, Brian Doyle Murray. So good voice casting. Was there. that Brian Doyle or was that Joel? Oh, it might might have been Joel. I don't know actually, but it it's a Murray. Like Joel to me. Yeah. All right, Murray boys. It's a Murray. And on the fifth, the big, sadly, the biggest TV phenomenon that will kind of change the entire television landscape. I did not see where this was going to mm -hmm. lead us. Yeah. At the time. 
now I want it that goddamn time machine it's, and put a stop to it. One of the things you might want to take back, as I'm sure we'll discuss, because this marks the debut of a little show called The Osbournes on MTV. Someone has been in my room and taken my beers away from my room. I don't think so, darling. Uh, Who would do that? Uh, Who could possibly do that? Who's the beer thief? You. You're the beer thief. Meanwhile, the kids would all end up in rehab, so who knows who it was. Uh, uh, it's, it's, well, it's, it's except a, for the oldest daughter who refused to refused. appear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the, house. the what if God was one of us lady? Uh, Joan, I believe her name is. No, but. That is, that is, that is who you're, who you're talking no, about. No, I'm talking about Amy. Oh, but Joan Osborne is Ozzy's kid too. Um, no, she's not. Oh, totally is. I no. totally is now. I'm right, losing confidence. Googling. Now I'm losing confidence. But here, the, the real thing I wanted to talk about is that this show is terrible, and I watched a lot of it because MTV had kind of pioneered the reality show, but it had been with strangers, and then they would force them into weird situations, and then you know, even Joan Osborne's from Kentucky. <laughs> okay, <laughs> take it. I almost ready to take it back, but the Osbournes. I, I remember the, the experience, I, a very important experience. I don't know why it was important to me. Uh, I'd watched a couple episodes of The Osbournes, kind of entertaining. And then it came out, the first season came out on DVD. And if you were a kid like me, kid in your 20s, you go to Best Buy every Tuesday and, and they always have discounted new release DVDs. And this was $9.99. I'm like, oh shit, The Osbournes uncensored first season. I will watch this. And I found there to be a drastic difference in something I clicked on on a channel to watch and something I actively put in my DVD player, hit play and binge. I'm like, this feels awful and stupid. Why am I watching this? I remember when that changeover happened for me. Yeah. It was a completely different viewership between random viewing and purposeful viewing. Yeah. And now a hundred percent of my viewing is purposeful viewing. I don't, I don't, I can't scroll through channels anymore. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, but even, but it so, changed the way I looked at reality shows. When you when I saw all of this in a row, I'm like, holy shit, nothing happened. This is <laughs> th- this is a giant pile of nothing. But th- mm-hmm. these are vaguely famous people. I mean, vaguely famous to me. I don't give a fuck about Ozzy Osbourne or his wife or his kids. Like I don't. I never. I was never curious about their life before this show aired. I didn't know who they were. This changed not only the landscape of cable television. A few weeks ago when I was ranting, like, what the fuck happened to MTV? Not the music video MTV, the MTV of my youth, of Daria, Beavis and Butthead, Jackass, Tom Green Show, Andy Dick Show, all the, the head, the max, all these clever, like, on the culture, on the the cusp, but like, just, just this these groundbreaking television shows. MTV was a great channel. This is what happened. A high-profile reality show changed MTV forever. This, this received MTV's highest ratings they'd ever had and then over doubled it when the second season premiered. And this became everything that MTV is ever since. 20 years ago, MTV was irrevocably changed by the Osbournes in, a, I think, a horrible way. Yeah. And, and uh, absolutely. this to me is the start of utter trash reality TV. Yes. I mean, Survivors, you know, it's not like it's exactly wonderful. But it's still, it's still, it's, it's still a game. It's still a game. It, it has, game it has moments. Yeah. But this is pure. Voyeurism. Circus freak. Yeah. Yeah. Level. Which I, I didn't understand watching it week to week. I could understand watching exactly one episode because it was pretty funny to me as someone who has been a, a Black Sabbath fan mm-hmm. and an Aussie fan to see that, yeah, when he's not being like, oh, I'm scary. He just sort of shuffles around the house with a ton of tiny dogs. <laughs> and, and then and then like he'll go out and have to do a photo shoot and have to turn it on. Like 
that's kind of fun. It's like having a golfing right. show with Alice Cooper. Like that's what he actually <laughs> is. And this is the character. But what this brings to us of the quote unquote reality celebrity television mm -hmm. in the next couple of years, I'm going to start listing newlyweds, Nick and Jessica, the simple life, the surreal life, which is occasionally funny mm -hmm. growing up. Gotti being Bobby Brown, Brittany and Kevin chaotic. The girls next door. Hogan knows best. Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D-List, which is actually kind of funny sometimes. My Fair Brady. Tommy Lee Goes to College. Gene Simmons, Family Jewels. That's the one that's the worst. Robin Big. The Hills. Keeping up with the Kardashians. There they are. Snoop Dogg's Fatherhood. Courtney and Kim Take Miami. Brandy and Ray J. A Family Business. And on and on. We didn't even mention the Anna Nicole Smith and show. On the and <laughs> on. Yeah. And this this totally changed cable television, not just MTV. The idea of how cheap this was to pull off. I was yeah. I remember how shocked I was to see like how is this show created by somebody? Because like there's no story here. You just put cameras in these people's homes and maybe like made them do something that day. But it, these are honest yeah. reactions you didn't write. And this is like one of the worst things to happen in television, in my opinion. I, I've enjoyed reality show. I love the real world, and I can't really explain to you why I love the real world. The road rules, but they at least did interesting things. It was young people living their lives. A lot of this is just like somebody will bring home like a new expensive toy, and that's the entire episode. Or you'll watch them eat dinner. Maybe they'll fight. <laughs> uh, like it, it's just so mind numbing. And yeah, this this to me is the end of my era of MTV that I liked. And I guess everybody's allowed to have their era of MTV, but I feel really bad for you if your era is now. Hope you like old Adam Sandler movies and wall-to-wall -wall ridiculousness, the show, which is not a bad you show. you want to know what, in 2022, the best-selling reality TV DVDs are? No, yes. Ooh, yes, I do. Yes. No, but yes. Number one, MTV's Viva La Bam. In two, wow. Duck Dynasty. Mm. Is this Three, now? This is in 2022, what as of now, on Amazon. Uh, three, Wild Boys. Wild Boys season two. Hell yeah. <laughs> five, Viva La Bam, different season. And yeah, a lot of Wild Boys in Viva La Bam. I have to <laughs> imagine Jackass Forever has really made it put a bump in all those. But yeah, the, but the reality show of nothing is strange. Because mm -hmm. I totally get like micro's dirty jobs like oh that's fascinating mythbusters fucking great but this i just don't get at all and thankfully i am not dating anyone but if i a lot of people, i'm not dating someone who would make me watch shit like this now a lot of people want to be famous and they want to feel like they're famous and if you watch famous people doing their daily lives you project yourself into what it you think it's like to be famous yes but if i <laughs> one one, one note stuff which is i think that's that's one of those innovations that we get gradually before we get to you know keeping up with the kardashians and more of these shows the hills i guess too of people that are like not especially famous but we're gonna have a show about them anyway and now they are famous and that now it's like a self well, a, a, a little thing. they're they're doing things that are interesting and that's the weird thing about the osbournes they're not yes they're really just doing regular people stuff it, i can't project myself into that we're going to the hamptons this week they never do that <laughs> if you they're watch if you, boring. if you watch a, a like a recent season of keeping up the kardashians and i don't know this for a fact but of course i do they do manufacture things for those people to do that would be interesting to show on television the osbournes did not it was <laughs> it, it is very boring and they're mostly in their house and all the kids got ruined temporarily for that uh no i don't think either of them can drink anymore 
and you know that's ruined to me. Uh, mm. but, but but yes, like so much damage was wrought in households that allowed these cameras in. Of the shows you've named that involved couples and families, most of them are broken after this. Oh yeah. Uh, after after this experience, but I, I it is so weird that it starts with the lead singer Black Sabbath. It's just well, how how was he the harbinger for the end of television? Because he was. There was no one doing what he did before he did it. Yeah, twice, and 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 then that's why you get people like me in a few years who want to escape to a Netflix all prestige television channel because this is all TV is for quite a while. I don't yep. know that it still is. Because I don't have access to anything cableicious right now. There's still plenty of this to go around. Now. Okay, yeah, it's not I, I don't doubt quite it. Quite as bad. It's finally sort of ebbing and flowing, but yeah, there's. And I, I really, I, I hate to judge what people like, but I hate this. I hate what the Osbournes is, and I hate that that's what most of TV became. Really bummed me out. And if TV, if you want to mark like when our generation's disinterest in television happen i think it's passive entertainment like this when you because mtv if you remember they just would play this in blocks all day long days in a row and i I ate it up when it was the real world and i had like 30 channels but i really couldn't do it here uh the (laughs) hbo was making stuff i hadn't seen yet i think this might mark the point where i start not knowing who celebrities are yeah yeah because yeah yeah, there'll be someone from vanderpump rules and i go what what i'm sorry who what what I, I can look at the cover of Us Weekly and I don't know these people. Especially, the, the... I think that also comes with developing responsibilities. Mm. <laughs> True. True. And some of these people on these MTV reality shows were only famous because MTV told you they were famous. And even then, it wasn't that famous. It was just their machine trying to make them famous. Yeah. Anyway, move... <laughs> fuck the Osbournes. I hate it so much. I really do. I still own it on DVD. <laughs> I found that I found the disc. Two discs of nothing. Ten episodes of nothing. Uh, moving on to the games, we're going to close out 2002 with a little look at the games because there's one, uh, one, well maybe two, one big one. Well, Fatal Frame. Fatal Frame is a game people like. Um, well, it's it's allegedly based upon a true story. The mm-hmm. Hero Mansion, which is supposed to be the most haunted house in all of Japan. And some people say you can still smell the scent of bullshit today because oh. that has no basis in reality. <laughs> There's no such thing as the Hiru Mansion in Japan at all. It's, it's niche. A horror game you know, with a camera aesthetic, yes. Yeah, it's mm. survival horror. You defeat your enemies with cameras. <laughs> it's really odd that this series lasted until 2014. But it I thought it was still going. I, I, yeah, I think they had There's a Wii U no exclusive. There's been no game since 2014. Okay. So, I don't know. Well, to me, to me that, yeah, 2012 is the the end of an era. And everything else that happens after 2012 to me is new because I'm an old man yeah. and there's been a pandemic. Uh, I get that. The closer you let the ghost get to you, the more damage your camera does, mm-hmm. which is a good balancing mechanism to, because if they get too close, they kill you. But you want to get them close so you get damage. I, I think that's a brilliant mechanism. No, this is the sure first one's regarded as a pretty it. decent game, uh, and then they get really wacky after that. I think Capcom is publishing this one, and this is the only one they publish. Uh, Knockout Kings 2002. That's a boxing game for PS2. 45 fighters in this game. 21 of them are real, including Muhammad Ali. Whoa. Oh, neat. Uh, and then might be the best Tony Hawk pro skater game that has ever existed. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 is out uh, this week. As a cultural force, when do you think skating peaked? 
I don't know because mm-hmm. I, I see a lot less of it nowadays. But like uh, Vice has had a bunch of skate documentaries, and almost any skater will tell you I became way more famous because of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I made more money because of Tony Hawk Pro Skaters. Skating in general, I think during the time Tony Hawk was selling well, and I would say it's around this time right now, somewhere between three and three and underground skating was at its. That's my sense, but I'm not an expert. No, uh, you yeah, know th- this game, like most Tony Hawk's games, you can breeze through it pretty fast, but that's not the point. The point is training yourself to get better, and that takes time and is enjoyable to do. I loved it. It always seemed like a single player Street Fighter to me. Instead of fighting a character, I'm fighting the environment. I'm pulling combos, trying to leap from edges to rails. And this game introduced the revert, which lets you come off vert ramps and not lose your combo, which is huge, a huge deal. Yeah, there's, I think Tony Hawk's, they have, there's a whole documentary about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and the name of it is the lyrics from the Goldfinger Superman song. I, so I forget what it's called. Like, here I am doing everything. Yeah, I yeah, can. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's like literally the first three lyrics of a song that Tony Hawk also made famous. But uh, Grandia 2 is out on Windows, so I'm guessing that's a port. Uh, Standard JPRG. Well, well-regarded one, and, and Star Wars Jedi Starfighter is out. I so don't... this is the transition of Star Wars games away from the original trilogies and to the prequels, uh, oh. because this doesn't take place anywhere but prequel time. Uh, you can play either as the Trade Federation, or you can play as the Jedi. It takes place a few months before Attack of the clones it's a flight sim which has a very dedicated market but a very small market not everyone wants to fly a complex spaceship the way pretty much everyone wants to swing a lightsaber yes nor do i want to be anywhere near i don't know why i'm so profoundly irritated by those backwards yellow naboo bullshits (laughs) i hate those things i hate with the mandalorian's new ship I mean, I like his. But anyway, moving on. Uh, let's close out to this segment with uh, Can't Fight the Moonlight by Leanne Rimes, because it's on the charts this week in 2002. And I have to tell you, it's by Leanne Rimes, because it sounds like Britney Spears oh. so much. It's kind of, st- I did not realize, like, I knew Leanne Rimes was a country crossover artist, but I didn't realize she crossed over that hard into seriously it just sounds like a Britney Spears song all right well uh yeah let's take us out with that but stay right there we got one more segment including one of the biggest failures of all time you don't want to miss that internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of march 4th through 10th ah so many good movies let's let's go backwards chronologically i think turning 50 this week are two movies from two filmmakers that we just lost starting with silent running directed by douglas trumbull a environmental sci-fi movie that yeah chris likes to point out is totally the basis for a mystery science theater because it's about a guy in a geodesic dome in space with his three little (laughs) robot pals and except instead of watching bad movies they are trying to save the last plant life that uh from earth which has been 
totally fucked over. And it's pretty neat. Douglas Trumbull was an effects guy. He did all the special effects on 2001 Space Odyssey. And so, yeah, it, it holds up. The, the effects actually hold up for a 50-year-old movie. It looks pretty good. And then even more old-fashioned, also turning 50 this week, is What's Up, Doc? Screwball comedy directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill, Madeline Kahn stealing every scene. It's just, it's wackety-smackety in the best kind of way. I mean, Bogdanovich was such a film nerd that it's totally like a throwback to like bringing up baby, like 30s-style screwball comedies, which those a lot of those still hold up really well, too. And then... I love so much when I get to recommend a movie that is a hundred years old and is still watchable from 1922. Coming out this week is F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. The original vampire movie, basically. And it's unofficially just an adaptation of Dracula, except that design on Nosferatu on uh, Max Shrek, which is a stage name that just means like lots of screams, um, is is so indelible. I don't remember when I brought up Nosferatu. Somewhere on this show, I brought up Nosferatu because I got so many people sending me pictures of this SpongeBob SquarePants episode where Nosferatu appears, and that image I cannot stop laughing about it. Every time I think of it, I just start laughing. It's so, so cute. It's like the cutest little Nosferatu. But yeah, the original silent 1922 Nosferatu turns 100 years old this week. And yeah, totally worth a watch. It's really cool. And you can watch it with Shadow of the Vampire as a double feature, which is the fake movie about the making of, which is a lot of fun because it's got Willem Dafoe and he's being creepy. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in with uh, Bruce Springsteen covering Miley Cyrus. No, it's just a song called Wrecking Ball off the album of the same name because Bruce Springsteen will make new albums as long as your dad is still alive. And, and then some. <laughs> and, yes. A man I wish I, whose music I wish I loved more, but God, it gets my dad so excited. It, I get excited too. Welcome to 2012. Uh, 2012, uh, other new releases include Break It Yourself by Andrew Bird, Secret Symphony by Katie Malua. Malua? Tuskegee, the most recent album by Lionel Richie, uh, Love at the Bottom of the Sea by the Magnetic Fields, Giants by the Strangers, and X-Lives uh, by Every Time I Die. Stronger, What Doesn't Kill You uh, by Kelly Clarkson is back at number one. <sighs> and I'm just glancing ahead at the news, and it's all depressing, because maybe this is, this is a little bit of the internet letting us think a little more globally than we did ten years ago. Because mm -hmm. seriously, we don't get a lot of global news here. And on March 4th, Vladimir Putin wins the Russian re-election amidst allegations of fraud. Four candidates, yep. Putin gets 64% of the vote. Mm. That's a lot. Yep. And he's been in that job ever since. Plus the previous eight years, he did 2000 to 2008. So, and then when he yay. was out of office, he was the man behind the strings. He was the prime the minister. Yes. Until <laughs> Instead of being he president. Could yeah. get the constitution changed so that he could run again uh, six-year terms. So, you know, he's up for re-election in I was 2024. I was saying in another show, I know the sanctions can be harsh on the Russian people, but that's your incentive to stab the guy. 
Like yes. you, you, basically, yes. You got to try. Yeah. You got to try. Yeah. I I saw an oligarch put a million dollar bounty on his head. So it's I I would take a stab literally if I could. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, not just for the money. Die, but... <laughs> That's why he's seated but... so far away from his closest. <laughs> It's closest friends <laughs> right now. That's why he's got that table. Yeah, yeah. Not a popular man, despite 64% of the vote 10 years mm-hmm. ago with three other candidates running. Man, people, those Russians love their Putin, I think. So for some context, mm-hmm. in 2012, you would be very, very hard, not impossible, just very hard to find someone who is not better off in 2012 than before Vladimir Putin came to power. Mm. He came to power at the time when Russian economic recovery was at its nadir from the post-Soviet era. And he pretty much rode a wave of just general coming out of communism that happened across Eastern Europe and rising oil prices. Mm -hmm. Russia, huge oil producer. So those two things meant that his years in power were huge economic growth growth periods for the Russian people. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why he had 64% of the vote. There was allegations of fraud. Probably did happen on a significant scale. He probably could have won otherwise, but he did fraud because he's a dick and a tyrant, and that's what they do. Um, yeah. I'd say tell him so, but I hope you like poison. <laughs> He's, Radiation yeah, re- poison. Really, yeah. <laughs> it's, we're a show about 10 years ago, but there's, I hate saying this, it's such an odd thing. That I couldn't say it on Twitter, I'd get mauled. There's something comforting about having Russians being just out-and-out villains. <laughs> and <there's>, <laughs> <laughs> like, this I understand. This I understand. Oh, of some... course, it's been shown a million times, but there is that Simpsons clip of "Wait, I thought you guys were the good guys. That's what we wanted Loved you to think." think. Yeah. <laughs> Press button. Sorry, not the Russians hating Putin. It's just nice to have someone I hate more than me, and we got one. <laughs> and we got one. It took a, it took a while. And on March eight, also, uh, Gre- Greece secures debt restructuring deal with private lenders and. I'm surprised I forgot about this because this is generally used as an example of how a country could run out of money. And almost every time anyone ran for office, they would point at what's happening in Greece right now. Mm-hmm. And we're pr- these two items, uh, you know, they're tying into today because we are going to see what happens when Russia runs out of money because it's uh, frozen most of its assets abroad. Mm-hmm. It can't uh, bail out its banks. And it's used up most of the reserves it has, so and it's, it's going to... <laughs> and its biggest resource is something the world doesn't use in the same kind of abundance anymore. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they really do, but uh, it's really weird. Oil companies are, at this point, voluntarily choosing not to do business with Russia. An oil company chose to do the right thing? See what I'm saying about the, the as well as Swiss bankers about if, this if feeling right get, somehow. It's also strange. Swiss bankers and oil tycoons to take the moral path. Wow, that that deserves some type of Nobel Prize. Uh, and um, if it if this week wasn't even more depressing, Coney 2012 documentary is released online on YouTube. It's the first oh, video to reach one million likes on YouTube. Sorry for the hiccuping. I'm not laughing. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know if we can call this like the height of slacktivism or like a good activist thing of, you know, bringing attention yeah. to the issue of child soldiers in Africa and going after this, you know, piece of shit warlord, Joseph Coney. Unfortunately, just retweeting something a bunch of times and maybe putting up some posters. He's not captured yet. Oh, I actually didn't know the end of the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's uh. the end of the story. 
Yeah, the Lord's <sighs> Resistance Army is fucking terrifying at what they do to children and the murders and such. But um, yeah, they send some guys out because there was extra attention. Okay, no, we'll get, we'll get them. Really, we'll get. They didn't get. Them. They haven't gotten them yet. No. Huh. Nope. I mean, I, I, I apparently alive and well. I, I don't like to criticize online activism because I still think it's better than no activism. Mm. And I, I think we do see a general from this a general sea change in awareness on the internet like just being on social media it's diff it's different from trying to watch foreign news you can literally hear from people on the ground maybe people, even people you follow so we're much closer to the <laughs> cylon hive mind at this point mm -hmm. 10 years ago and learning more about our world and yeah well few few things annoy me as much as the phrase raising awareness yeah i know but unfortunately, that is the first step. It like is. a lot of people hadn't heard about, you know, the Lord's Resistance Army. And so that's good. The documentary itself criticized for um, not being as accurate as it could be, mm. not letting people speak for themselves as much as they could. But but it did raise awareness. So I guess it's something. Mm -hmm. I guess if there's not the follow-up step past raising awareness... Mm. It doesn't really seem to accomplish much. It's true, but mm. I, I always, you know, try and remind people that like there are limits to what a single civilian human being can do, and being aware and pushing people who can do things to do things is a totally legitimate step for most people. We, yeah. it, it is, and, it, and I think we're better than we were at that eleven years ago. How about that? Moving on to the movies. Speaking of a lack of justice in the world, on March fourth through the tenth, the Lorax is still number one at the box office movie. I hate the more I think about it. I'm still closing down tabs from researching it <laughs> on the other computer. Still number one. But we got some new movies to talk about, many of which you might have seen, such as Chris Noth, Ron Perlman, Whitney Cummings, Nora Dunn, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, Chris O'Dowd, and Charlie Hoonan. Uh, three, two, one, Frankie Go Boom. Another comedy that is overstuffed with people who should do better than this. Man, yes. Uh, they changed the name from Frankie Go Boom to Three, Two, One. Why? Frankie Go Boom. Why? So they would be at the start Top? of streaming services. As far as I can tell, I, this is the first time a movie was changed to take advantage of streaming services. I was services. just, I mean, the next movie in particular, to me, is emblematic of the rise of streaming services, where people would rather stream anything then passively watch something like The Osbournes. I've always liked documentaries, but like I always felt outside of my dad and a couple of friends, I'm kind of alone. I was kind of alone in that 10 years ago. That all changed with streaming. And Jiro Dreams of Sushi is one of the biggest examples of, of that. I think it's a documentary, if you had Netflix, it was hard not to see because they didn't have a lot mm -hmm. of content uh, around this point. And this was one of the first movies like, oh, it got great reviews and boom, it's on your Netflix. You can watch it right now. And people mm -hmm. did. And I, I, I heard about this movie for months through Netflix in a way you wouldn't hear about a movie released any other way. Yep. It's a fascinating story to me. I lived in Japan a couple of years, got a deep love of sushi. And this is a hero's journey. You know, <laughs> Jiro wanted to be a race car driver and he had to give that all up. And then he became the best in his field, like the sushi guy is what he became. And this movie really shows you every step of that laborious process. It takes <laughs> 10 years to train to be a sushi master. Mm -hmm. So these are people getting a doctorate in sushi, you know, the equivalent. Starving. Uh, it <laughs> talks about a guy who made 500 sushi eggs uh, every day for six months, and they threw them all away because they weren't up to standard. And then finally he made one that was good, and he, pre and he cried, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's... 
about mastering something. It's about getting better at your job every day as the goal in and of itself, taking value from your own work ethic and your own sense of getting better. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it did strike me as it's like a very Japanese way of like, I must, everything you do, you should, you should be the master of it. And this should I be your life. Be- the very best, the best <laughs> there ever was. That is a central Japanese characteristic. Mm. It's, 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 yeah. It speaks to their soul for a reason. But there's a certain amount of at what cost. Like, about, you start watching the movie and eventually he mentions, oh yeah, my sons. And I'm like, you had time to get married and have kids <laughs> and sex. his kids are this is all they do too this is the, they have to do this thing like his son is 70 and he's still you know number two guy he's not allowed to take charge he always has his dad watching him always but they also you know have a super close relationship i mean mm-hmm. i don't spend that much time with my dad i don't know anyone who spends that much time with their dad that'd be weird um, that's true but do you think yeah. they ever talk about feelings <laughs> Some- point yeah especially when they're yeah. drunk you know my experience in japan was always that very reserved very reserved let's all get drunk and let everything out ever that's why that stereotype exists because like it's understood work hard play hard yeah. long as you're not working get as hammered as you'd like show yeah, up to work it, the next day it is mesmerizing the idea of like this it's this is the purest sushi it's very carefully mm-hmm. done it's not dressed up in any way and they go through like going to the fish market and talking to the fish guy and he's going looking at all the tunas oh this tuna's not gonna this tuna's not. it's like all all down the supply chain are all people who are like way too dedicated to their craft but somebody has to be you know it's like you gotta this is how you are the best is this level but of dedication it, it, it's really not about sushi sushi nah. is the setting it's about loving what you do i mean do you love what you do do yeah, yeah. anybody is anybody listening love what i do that's difficult nah. to say it's, <laughs> it's difficult to say yeah i i do have to point out every time we hit a documentary that was parodied on documentary now uh, i have to point it out because documentary now is like my favorite show of all time it's coming back baby really yeah yeah, yes. thinking about awesome. a few months. Yeah, their their parody of Jiro Dreams of Sushi is called Juan Likes Rice and Chicken. <laughs> and it's about a guy in Colombia, I think, who, like, he only serves rice, the dollop of butter on it, and chicken at a restaurant that's, like, four-hour hike from anywhere <laughs> in civilization. And, you know, the chicken is, like, he picks a chicken out from the, you know, the farmer, and he has five minutes to catch it himself. Or else he's, fate is telling him there should be no chicken today. And if they don't get the milk from the farm in 30 minutes or less, it's garbage. Throw it out. And uh, yeah, his obsession with it. At the same time, he has two sons, one that's following him in the business and one that's opened a place that is completely antithetical to his dad's beliefs, but is very successful at it. It's really, really funny. That is available for free on YouTube and I must watch it now. Oh, yeah. All, all of, uh, yeah, all of documentary now is also on Netflix, Netflix and- I, oh, the it, it's funny if you haven't seen dreams of zero dreams of sushi if you have seen it you realize how they're incredibly accurate the attention to detail mm-hmm. there's whole scenes replicated where the guy's talking about having to cut a banana in half 
and he didn't do it right. And he had 300 bananas later, <laughs> he does cut it right. And he cries and his crying was upsetting the customers. So he had to go hide. <laughs> it's just the same. So, so good. Okay. So I consider you guys, you got to be indulgent JR with your Pokemon song and Diana with her documentary. Now I now think of something even stupider when I think of this movie, uh, Norm Macdonald again. And when he would read bad jokes at the end of his uh, Norm Macdonald show, he would even give guests cards to read older bad jokes you've already heard, but in their voice. And this is one he gives Nick Swartzen to read on the Norm Macdonald show. One of the most popular documentaries on Netflix is Jiro... Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I've seen that. It's very good. That's you a have? fantastic yeah. documentary. One of the least popular documentaries, Jiro Night... <laughs> Jiro Nightmares of Asperger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't... Look, there's no clip from the movie I could have played. No, um, it's all in Japanese. It's all in Japanese. <laughs> okay, moving on to the next movie, which feels like it was named by South Park. About... <laughs> 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 Kristen Scott Thomas, Amur Wakhead, uh, Emily Blunt, Ian McGregor, and Salmon Fishing in Yemen. <laughs> yep. They say that title quite a few yeah. times. They they really do. It's about Ewan McGregor is a fisheries expert, and Emily Blunt works for a rich sheikh from Yemen, and he loves fishing. And so they are working together to build you know a dam and get this river going and put a whole bunch of salmon in it. And... Can it be done? This is craziness. Oh, but also I'm unhappy in my personal life. And I like you, Emily Blunt. And there you go. I did not want to like this movie. I went in going, I do not care about some rich chic wasting Mm -hmm. his country's (laughs) precious water to build a luxury salmon fishing for him and his buddies. And the movie won me over. Yep. It's sweet. It's nice. It's an uplifting character film. It it won me over. It's a yeah. recommend. Yeah, I it's a light recommend for me because first I'm kind of curious to read the book it's based on because that sounds like it's way more of like a political satire. And Kristen Scott Thomas is in it as like the you know the media director for the prime minister, and she's you know she's wandered in from you know in the loop or something like that. Like she's wandered in from some other British show being super salty and bitchy and at the same time you have like emily blunt and mcgregor who are just like such charismatic fucking people working together of like well this is impossible but maybe it's not and we can get this going and there's enough complications in their relationship that it was it didn't feel quite arbitrary even though it totally was like really arbitrary like she's been dating this soldier and then he goes missing in action in Afghanistan. And you're like, oh, shit, he's totally dead. And then, like, he comes back. And she's like, well, I'm kind of in love with Ian McGregor now. But I'd really be a giant bitch to say no to this guy. So kind of stuck. I was like, well, that was heavier than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess if I had a complaint, the shake is a bit of a mystical man of the Orient for me. There's a little, little bit of that, you know. He never really explains why he wants to do this. And there, there is a character who's like, he's going to open like a luxury resort and golf course. This is, this is bullshit. He's fucking over his people. But we never find out what his actual plan was. Mm. It's a little weird. Could have been a little more specific. But yeah, charming. I mean, I'm not surprised. It's directed by Lassa Hellstrom, who did Chocolat and uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, who's just very good at elevating romantic material. So Ooh. yeah, salmon fishing in the Yemen. It's actually pretty nice. Well, uh, yeah. I'd rather see that movie than mm-hmm. the next film. 
Yes, absolutely. Yes. Sometimes, yes. I believe we teased we had a 0% of Rotten Tomatoes. This is one of them. Uh, Tis. John Witherspoon, Ruby D, Allison Janney, Clark Duke, Cliff Curtis, Kerry Washington, and Eddie Murphy in A Thousand Words. I can talk anybody into anything. Meet a man who speaks a million words a day, but now... Hello. The more you talk, the more leaves fall. When all the leaves fall off, you die. I got a thousand words left. What do you say we make a deal? Hello. Can you tell me when it's safe to cross? Mm-hmm. It is? Thanks, fellas. Without a grandma! Tell me what you want me to do. Ah! A thousand words. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> when I wished for the genie to be young, I didn't mean yeah. this young. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, funny, because he talks. Okay. Yeah. I, I was going to about... say, let me let me pitch a movie to you, okay? Mm-hmm. It's going to be Jackie Chan, and the screen's going to be black the whole time. It's just going to be Jackie Chan <laughs> telling you what he's doing, mm-hmm. but not you don't ever see him doing it. It's like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> so you can understand why this film was delayed a ridiculous number of times. It was supposed to come out in 2009. Yeah, filmed in 08. Got... Yeah, filmed in 08, came out in 2012. Uh, delayed because of the DreamWork Pictures and Paramount Pictures and Viacom all had some separation problems. And then it was supposed to come out, uh, but then Murphy was announced as host of the Oscars. So then it was given a later date and then pushed and then moved. And no one had faith in this movie for a very good reason. It is mm. bad bad and everyone involved should feel bad yep <laughs> yeah well i'll tell you the good thing that came out of this this movie effectively retired eddie murphy or at least mm. created a change in him he didn't do anything like that like he that, that series of eddie murphy on a white poster with big letters like where he's doing stuff with his kids is g-rated horseshit he mm. didn't do any he made music seriously okay music <laughs> he did not mm-hmm. see his reggae video with snoop dogg and then did the dolomite movie that made him want to make movies again so it it, wow. it effectively this movie did give us eddie murphy back in about seven years um <laughs> and he supposedly is going to do stand-up hey he made the coming to america 2 movie we all wanted uh but i know those costumes. I know. I, I wanted to love it, but uh, but seriously, we got the Eddie Murphy we wanted back after this dismal failure. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for a silver lining here, rather than beating this movie I didn't watch in the dick the way critics did. Nobody recommends this movie to you at all. No, and... no. Like I said, I even movies that I think are awful mm-hmm. can still pull a ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Movies that make me tear my hair out and scream at how bad they are in every element. A zero percent it. It says something. Uh, yeah, I think Rotten Tomatoes gave it an award as the worst reviewed movie of the year. Wow. And it's just so weird. Like, I almost understand the idea of this guy, Eddie Murphy, is such a motor mouth. Mm-hmm. But he's also a great physical comedian. So let's lean him into the physical comedy. But yeah. It feels like they no. wanted to make Eddie Murphy's liar liar. But yeah. but, but still, you, you do take away Eddie Murphy's gift here. Like a... Whereas Jim Carrey can still do what he does. Yeah, it, it plays to his weakest mm-hmm. aspects, not his strongest. It should be like he has to, like 
speed except for talking. Mm-hmm. He can't stop he can't talking. Stop talking. He'll die. If he doesn't say Ooh, a million words a day. Guy. Yeah, something <laughs> ridiculous like that. A million words a day or he dies. Yeah. You know, something like that could play to his strength. But uh, I, I, it's it's he doesn't do many interviews, but what and he doesn't really like to slam his old work, but you can really see Eddie Murphy changes his career mm-hmm. at this point and doesn't do anything like this anymore after this because I think I got enough money. It's he had to say I got enough money. I should really do what makes me happy, and he he really did. He made like two movies that are completely different from this in the next seven years. <laughs> a, yeah, a heavy wow. drama yeah, and his, Dolomite. Yeah, his his next movie is not until 2016, and mm-hmm. it's a drama directed by the Driving Miss Daisy guy. Yep, and then it's Dolomite in 2019. I, Damn, I, I, I do seriously respect that because like. You know, yes, Bruce Willis you. didn't stop making horrible shit. He does it like every three weeks. Eddie Murphy walked away and uh, is now interesting, defining himself into something a little more. I love him on when he came back to SNL. It was so fucking funny. One of the best <laughs> things I've ever lived through. Oh, I'm just trying to get some positivity out before we go into the next. <laughs> oh, okay. I I have positive things I sure. can say about. Uh, John Carter slash John Carter of Mars. I I think the effects are good. I have no massive complaints about it, except that I've seen it all before because it's such a foundational work of science fiction, the Mm -hmm. book, that all of it just feels like a ripoff of something because it's been ripped off so many times. So this film was... 81 years in production. This is <laughs> JR. Can I grab this? Because this is sure. this this is what I wrote down. Because I actually went and tracked down some of this footage. That I, I read about this. But if I was making a bad YouTube video, I would call this the movie Disney had to eventually make because it was dancing around it for years. The first person to make that was supposed to make this movie a few years after publication was Bob Clampett for MGM. And I I read about this years ago in an animation book, but it is online now. You can see the footage. And yeah, it's pretty, it's very rotoscoped, but it is pretty neat. Bob Clampett, fucking father of the Looney Tunes, uh, amazing animator. And had this actually gone through with with MGM, this would have been the first animated movie ever made beating Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to the box office. The next time it was supposed to get made, it was supposed to be made by, who was it, Robert Rodriguez? Robert Rodriguez, and then um, it got switched over to John Favreau. John okay. Favreau was supposed to make okay. this movie, who would later go on to make a little space western everybody loves called Cowboys and Aliens. No, <laughs> John Favreau would go on to he would leave this movie after years of production hell to make Iron Man, mm. and eventually fucking Mandalorian, which is <laughs> oh, you kind of wish you could see that version. Uh, and I'm listening to a podcast about Ain't It Cool News and Harry Knowles. Harry Knowles was a producer of this for a little while. Yeah, that's a good podcast. Download it's that's what it's called. Download and then shit. There was someone else in the mix too, but basically, and then Disney fought to get the rights back, and then decided to make it with Pixar. It made it with Disney, but with a Pixar director. I think coming off the success of Gross Protocol, Brad Bird made the most exciting Mission Impossible to date, and he's a Pixar animator. And if you read quotes from Andrew Stanton, a great animation director, up uh, Wally and Finding Nemo are among. Oh, the top, yeah. Maybe in my top three non-Toy Story Pixar movies uh, of all time. I can't, I, all the Pixar's, all, all Toy Story's one thing to me, man. It's so glorious. I love Toy Story. And, and he's, his quotes are arrogant. Like, yeah, this is easy. Like, why wouldn't I be able to do this? Like, of course I can do this. Everybody wanted, every studio in the world wanted to make this movie for so long. And every aspect that is now in Disney's Infinity Gauntlet touched it. Animation, <laughs> Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars. And this is, 
it's this the failure of this movie within a few months Disney will buy Star Wars because the amount of money spent on this film is about one eighth of what it cost them to buy Star Wars period so Ugh. so why embark on a on a risk of a new property even though it's you know a hundred year old book uh, <laughs> even though it's a new property when we can buy Star Wars with a surefire success uh, they just bought Marvel and this is like Disney's last organic attempt at mainstream male focused merchandise driven action movie yeah this and the lone ranger yes which comes out the following year made disney the company it is today. yes that because those failures you both, both failures mm-hmm. and they went we're done you know yeah. and you can yeah. criticize disney for not making new stuff but they spent half a billion dollars on those two films yeah and they bombed yeah they mm-hmm. They didn't make back their money. This was the second most expensive film of all time. Yeah, I, I think adjusted for inflation, it's in the top ten yeah. of most. More and all, all than the, the Avengers, yeah, all more the more expensive than the Dark Knight. You know, all of the uh, top ten films adjusted for inflation that cost the most are wild successes based on new on ex- pre existing properties. This mm-hmm. is based on something. Let's be honest. Most people haven't heard of, including me, who would like who was eating up books like this. Yeah. Well, it's based on a hundred year old property. Yeah. That this failure makes them buying Star Wars. Like there's those things need to always be talked about. Yes, it's amazing. It's amazing to think about. Star Wars steals a lot from this. So much. So I had read this before the movie came out, a huge science fiction geek. It's one of the classics. So I read it as homework. Mm -hmm. Like Hmm. I should read this because it's such a seminal work and a lot of old-timey sci-fi fans were like very furious with the way disney was marketing this movie it wasn't touching to the grandos and that includes the most generic name possible yeah john oh my carter God. It, yeah if you're a fan you know that name but that's like 12 guys the original title was john carter of mars mm-hmm. but when mars needs moms bombed yep. they went oh. you know what's the problem the Mars. word Mars. People don't care about Mars. Let's take Mars off the title. And John Carter, what is that? That's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. That's that. What uh, the, the what movie if, about the ER doctor? Yeah, what? I want to see Noah Wiley. What <laughs> do you call the sequel? <laughs> well, it's it sounds like a it's, it sounds like a Denzel Washington movie. <laughs> the Warlord of Mars. The Princess of Mars. Great There's titles. Tons of great titles from the original. Edgar Rice Burroughs books, who is, by the way, a character in this film. Yes, he Kurt yeah. Vonnegut's himself all up in there. And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and but, this, this is based on Princess of Mars, so it could have just been called Princess of Mars. Yeah, and you can just see a bunch of great. marketing people. We want boys to come to this. We want women to come. Well, we can't use both, Mars and Princess. And like, yes, you can, you fucking idiots. My Ugh. counter-argument for, well, why were they making this off of such an old property is they made Pirates of the Caribbean at a time yep. when Pirates movies were dead, dead as a doornail. Mm. So the idea that they could bring forth a new genre of planetary romance yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, Roll those I, dice. I think to Disney's credit, they read the room like, man, these Marvel movies, because, you know, this has been greenlit before they bought Marvel. They think they own Marvel at this point. 2009, uh, yeah. And But they, it, it had been started before. They read the room. People want big sci fi epics, people want movie starring heroes. But, man, we don't have any of these Marvel or Star Wars things. What do we do? <laughs> but here's my Let's other Let's go back to the inspiration to all of them. Maybe that's what they did with everything yeah. else. Yeah. If you can make 
one of the best space opera films off of Guardians of the Frickin' Galaxy, yeah. <laughs> which was, even as a huge Marvel fan, a know-nothing property that no one knows anything about. Mm -hmm. This movie lacks fun. It doesn't mm -hmm. have the pure yeah. fun of the Marvel I, and I hate to say it because uh, I don't... Carter is not a good character in this no. film. I don't dislike the Taylor Kitsch, but I think he is a terrible lead. Or at least mm. he's giving terrible things to do. When you watch him in this movie, trying to stare around at things that aren't there taller than him, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, and there's, there's parts of this movie that look great, but there's also parts of it like you would learn from motion capture and eye lines that this is not good. This looks yeah. really dumb. And, and I think my like all I, all I had left to say in my notes... When I heard they were making a new Dune, this is what I feared it would look like. Yeah, and and yeah. and that it didn't makes it wonderful. Yeah. And and I, I've tried to watch. I've never been able to get all the way through this movie. It is so dull and boring. Uh, mm. I watched it in 2012 when it came out, and I rewatched it with both my kids. Uh, the 11 year old noped out after a half an hour. Wow. Uh, oh, my nine year old because they boy, just got to Mars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there are four separate yes. openings to this film mm -hmm. and none of them tell us who john carter the man is let me ask you what is john carter's reason for fighting other than the hot princess babe i don't know nope and and Got nothing. and what is john carter's transportation device the exact same as the one in black knight an amulet <laughs> an amulet <laughs> did you watch uh friday night lights I didn't, but I I, I I started to. But I know I I, I liked I, I liked him in True Detective. He's and, an excellent actor in Friday Night Lights. I mean, he kills yeah. it as Regans. He does a fantastic job. You know He's what? Just sorry, not Jr. You are correct. I don't because he gives flat lines better readings than they deserve. But it's the the, the way the character is written because mm -hmm. he is there to do nothing. He he shows up on a different planet and like, hey, can we have your help? No, like what are you? Are you trying to leave? We have to info dump at you. What, oh, what are you doing? Okay. What What else are you doing right now? Like, why refuse the help of the only? But what kind of character a movie is this? Problem. They don't show us why the one side is better than the other. Yeah. The mm -hmm. evil yeah. leader doesn't really come across as that evil. Well, I mean, you're forgetting one thing: been... eyeliner. There you go. <laughs> That's about all you have. But yeah, this was a huge bomb. Less than half the opening of the Lorax, which Ooh. had to have people at Disney being like, who can we blame? Uh, um, people fell on their... The president of the company, I think, fell on his sword for this. Like, oh, literally yeah. had to resign. Yeah, it, it was like reading about it. It's like, but I wasn't here when you greenlit this movie. He's <laughs> like, well, you took money away from the Lone Ranger knowing that was going to be a fucking turd. And you didn't do that here. Because the Lone Ranger was a much less costly failure. This was like very, very very expensive. This is like, this would sink any of the studios left outside of all the mergers and acquisitions. It would, this would sink a Paramount. $264 million. No, it's, Ooh. it's, it's, th it's 300 adjusted for inflation and in just the budget of the film in terms of what they lost in mark global marketing. It, it comes Ooh. out to like almost half a billion dollars for this movie alone. And, yeah. And Lone Ranger was 215 million. Mm -hmm. So, Ouch. Good I mean, Lord. those two bombs, almost half a billion dollars, and not including marketing. So including marketing, probably a cool billion. And it's like, um, what would you do if you were a rich Disney executive? Like, man, that cost us almost a billion dollars. Like, why don't we just get four, three more of those? And I still don't understand why Star Wars sold for $4 billion. It seems like Lucas it, it didn't care. It was right before 
IPs started increasing in value because of streaming. Once you have a property yeah, probably, that yeah. other people have yeah. heard of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just such a game changer in the days of streaming. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for because every time I see it, like Call of Duty sells for sixty million dollars, and like so that's uh seven, it's thirteen times the amount of Star Wars is how much yeah. the Call of Duty franchise is worth. I don't believe it. I don't yeah. believe it. Uh, how did this happen? But if you were trying to buy Star Wars today, twenty to thirty billion. Yeah, it. Yeah. I, I believe I saw Disney's merchandise revenue the first year alone and i'm like is george kicking himself in the balls for this like i think he is yeah like i've always wondered okay so there's a recent case where the writer of the jason films yes sued to get the rights to jason back yes and uh, he he did because the uh law says after a certain amount of time the rights revert to the screen writer Mm mm-hmm George Lucas is the sole screenwriter of mm-hmm. Star Wars Episode Four. Could he sue Disney to get back those rights as the screenwriter to Episode Four? Hmm. Oh, probably not. I would say there's, there'd have to be something in the contract, but I do wonder... I don't know if anyone in 2012 was thinking about that. Yeah, I'm not sure that they were either, but they, that, is the, that is up there in the greatest mystery of that acquisition right next to... Why can't they release the unspecialized versions of the films, which they apparently can't legally do? Yeah. And the only reason I would imagine they can't legally do that is because George Lucas said so in a contract for a certain uh, time. Probably. My, my anyway. final thought on mm-hmm. this whole thing is I really wish I lived in the timeline where in 1931 or the mid-30s, Warner Brothers said, F it. We're doing a huge, big-budget, sci-fi animated film based on this. And then you have dueling Warner Brothers and Disney feature-length animation films for the next generation. That's the hilarious thing that, like, uh, you can, again, I I recommend if you're an animation fan looking up the footage of, might be Warlords from Mars. It was supposed to be the first John Carter movie from Bob Clampett animated for MGM. And they're just like, no one's going to get this. It's a space guy on an alien planet. And then, like... Right after they shut it down, the Flash Gordon series comes out. Oh. And explodes. And explodes. And then years later, George Lucas would try and buy the rights of Flash Gordon, is turned down, and decides to make his own. And that's that's blah blah blah. Cyclical. Even our conversation is a snake eating its own ass. But it's 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 fascinating to me because John Carter seems like a movie that had to eventually be made, but it's just and it's just you're right, it's not terrible it's just yeah. dull it's just kind of dull you just always have this like well i kind of don't care and feeling of like eh, i kind of seen this before yes yeah, yeah. a, a presumptuous but good score of, for something for, there should be more action happening yeah but just a boring movie and i've never been able to sit through the whole thing and i tried three times this year <laughs> this year because i knew it was coming up and i've always wanted it is this historically in the entertainment business this movie will be important it has been through so many hands and so many people have tried to make this that eventually someone's going to nail it. And I think, I don't know, JR, you'd be a better person to speak on that than me. Is, is the series worth? Here's the thing. It's pulp. Mm-hmm. Pulp heroes have a tendency to be very one dimensional mm-hmm. in a way modern audiences aren't willing to accept. Yeah. You'd have to have someone who could really find the gem of the John Carter stories. I think you could make a great story based upon the John Carter series, but you'd have to flesh him out more as a human being and less as an archetype. Mm -hmm. And you'd also have to really 
lean into the strangeness of it. Uh, John Carter's Mars is a really alien world, mm-hmm. and it would have to be a lot of good world building about it. I, I, I mean, I love part of that about just the whole he can jump really high because yeah. of gravitational difference I thing. Mean, That's Superman the kind of thing. stole that 100% from yeah. John Carter. He, when when he's moving around, he looks like how the Hulk moves in comics. Yeah. And, and, and like when you see it on screen and read about the production history, that's like one of the things they thought they'd never be able to show on screen. And this movie yeah. kind of nails it. And No, this movie, his powers change from scene to scene. Oh, They're yeah. never consistent. In one episode, in one uh, scene, he can jump, you know, three to four stories. In the next, he can jump across the city. And it doesn't really work because then there's no drama. There's a great fan trailer about this film that really shows you everything that John Carter inspired. Mm-hmm. And if you could get the depth of the history of the character, yeah, you could absolutely make a good John Carter film. But it would have to be John Carter of Mars or Princess of Mars. Actually, yeah. uh, focus on Dolores. She's a better character, a better realized character than John Carter in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't even explain what the movie is about. Does uh, it matter? John Carter is the man War, the wakes Civil up War on goes to Mars and becomes a champion of yep. the green people. Yep. And it takes two and a half hours to spool that tale with not a lot of detail. I think it's one of the worst protagonists I've ever seen. He's kind of a surly dick throughout the yeah. entire film. And I, I, I was... I, I blamed Mr. Kitch early on, but it, it, it's probably just the writing and sticking too close to the source material. Give him a reason to be here or at least a change. It remind I, I just wrote down Planet of the Apes, but didn't expound on a lot of that until JR made me think like that character has a change, like goes to mm-hmm. a far off planet for a reason and then finds his, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned that through this odd experience. So you, like, you don't get any of that from this character. He's just a hero and he sort of hates it. And <laughs> uh, but not, not like an egregiously terrible movie, but not a lawnmower man. This will ever be fun to watch movie. No. It'll never be fun to watch. No. It'll never, no, it is not a good, bad. It's just a right. meh. $264 million. Meh. $297 million of today's Jesus. money. Um, today's Lord. money. Ugh. Think of all the salmon we could fish in the Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> But John John Carter, yeah, not terrible, but um, something Jr. feel like Jr. might have pointed out. It's the kind of thing that will never get better with age. There's nothing nope. in this no. movie that will age no. well. It'll get worse the in further fact, you get from it. Even with its huge budget, the CGI is definitely showing its age yeah, a it's, mere 10 years later. It's very wow. strange. And, and, and not to bring it up, but I think part of this, again, just in talking about Disney, I was looking up the top. The, the most expensive movies adjusted for inflation – so the most expensive movie, your Harry Potters, your Avengers, your Pirates of the Caribbean. There are two movies there that are the first movies of their kind. And only one is an original property, Avatar. And I uh, think that's mm-hmm. actually what they were going for in this movie. They were trying to make Avatar. Yep. And, yeah. what, yeah. It, and what did Disney do? <laughs> well, <laughs> couldn't make our own Avatar, so we will buy Avatar. And they did. They allegedly will make more movies. It's been... 13 years. <laughs> we'll see. I'll believe them when I see it. Here's a nice little land in, in Orlando. Anyway, moving on to 2012 television, uh, March 4th through the 10th. Oh, John Carter. <laughs> TV movie Game Change with Ed Harris, Julian Moore, uh, Woody Harrelson, Peter McNichol, and Sarah Paulson. 
Yep. Got another one of these uh, HBO, HBO movies directed by Jay Roach looking at modern politics. And this time it's about uh, Sarah Palin being added as McCain's running mate. Uh, this is a big recommend for me. I yeah. think it's a very solid drama. All, all of these cities made I quite enjoyed. Escape Change, Recount. Uh, I think there's another one in there. Everyone should have paid more attention to how popular Sarah Palin was in 2008. I think it mm -hmm. was regarded as a freak occurrence. This will never happen again. Certainly that's the uh, take this 2012 movie portrays it as. Mm -hmm. But if you look at her near contemporary Rob Ford up in Canada and of course uh, later developments, it was not. Um, yeah. This oh gosh, he directed uh, also All the Way, the LBJ movie starring mm. Frank Cranston does also really really good mm. and there there is a clip I want to play just because it shows the uh, the changes between 2008 and recently mm. I'm sorry governor but there is only a few weeks left in this campaign you've got to stop saying things to the press that are blatantly untrue that is not the kind of campaign that we are running here campaign is that what you're calling this now Governor, I admit that this is a dysfunctional campaign, but that is what I inherited, and I'm doing my level best to help us win this election. And that's what I'm trying to do too, Stephen. All you're doing is screwing me up. That's all you've done this entire time is get in my way. Now, some time for some fancy pageant walking. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the other Ugh. thing I do want to Grim. throw out is my wife was very mad that this film didn't mention the uh, porno that was made about Sarah Palin during the election campaign. Mm. I mean, very offensive it's not off her. the top of my head, but you mean whose nail and Palin? Was that too quick? <laughs> A little too quick there. Yeah. I, I am uh, only but, saying that I only I have not seen it, but the hmm. star lives near me. Huh. The, the Sarah Palin look like. Uh, I really thought that question was going to go horribly in a different direction. No, but <laughs> but it, 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 I only know this because my friend worked at an establishment right around the time the porno came out, and she came in and she looks like her to this establishment, and everybody started taking secret pictures of her and putting them on the internet, and she complained, mm. and every employee was fired. <laughs> oh. every, uh, everybody was fired. From Damn. that establishment, yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah I, I think it's. I, I I really I I enjoyed this one. I mean, it really comes down to the. But wait, what was Jr. about to say about the porno? <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, I, I really don't think they would ever make a porno in 2008 of, about any male presidential mean, candidate. Oh, I think fuck that no. Mean old mushroom dick? No. Oh. <laughs> no. No. Well, this is 2008 was like one of the worst times for me mm -hmm. as a killjoy feminist because I loathe Sarah Palin and pretty much everything that she's ever believed in. Mm -hmm. But then I got to defend her when people give her shit that's just based on her gender instead of her being stupid. <laughs> like, don't make me defend her when you criticize what she's wearing. Criticize that she's stupid. She was asked to name a newspaper <laughs> and <fail. laughs> uh, Yeah, the, the 2008 campaign got very nasty. I mean, there was yeah. a fair amount of making fun of her special needs kid. Yeah, it was real, real off base. Not acceptable. Mm -mm. Yeah. And then, and then I, I don't even remember, like, substantial questions weren't being asked of her. And I remember when the campaign was over, they were like, dude, she, she and her family were basically robber barons who stole millions of dollars from this campaign to buy personal shit. I'm like, whoa, whatever presidential candidate did that? That'd be a 
Really? Someone who just runs for attention and money, you say? I don't get it. But she, what this film points out that she was a huge, huge fundraising draw for the McCain campaign. And Mm -hmm. again, that was really something that we should have paid more attention to in 2008. Um, But yeah. Yes, I believe if if, if you're a liberal wondering why Marjorie Taylor Greene can't be censured or thrown out of office, she is one of the biggest fundraisers they have. She's very, very good at emboldening racists and dummies with lots of money. Game change. Game change, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, On HBO Max, I'm guessing. Yep. Oh, Lord. Now, GCB debuts on ABC. And is the second thing to see on ABC where they change the word into a B. <laughs> Why does ABC keep greenlighting shows with the word bitch in it? I don't know anything about this, but this seems pretty out there uh, for 10 years ago. It's based on the semi-autobiographical 2008 novel Good Christian Bitches by mm. Kim Gatlin. A disgraced girl goes back home to Texas, and it's it's all about her uh, Christian community acting bitchy, and you can hear that in the clip. I'm telling her you cannot wear last year's uniform with this year's breasts. It's too tight. Relax, Cricket. Cleavage helps your cross hang straight. Say. Dr. Smith brought, right? Yeah. Yep, I don't know his work anywhere. Oh my goodness. So yeah, yeah. If if that's the type of jokes you want to hear, you're gonna get plenty of them on this sitcom. It it reminds <laughs> me to tell everyone to just watch Righteous Gemstones. That accent oh, with that kind God of high pitched voice is just everything I want right now in television. Oh, and it's created by the guy who wrote Steel Magnolias. Oh really? That tracks. And Bam. yeah, and then so to give you a little bit of video games that came out during this time. Oh boy. Oh man. <laughs> Blades of Time. I don't want to talk about that one. Generic hack and slash. Yeah. There's nothing new or Ma- interesting. Major League Baseball 2K12. I think it's an adventure game. Top Gun Hard Lot. I think Paramount's brief foray into like making movies based on its IP. A Top Gun game. Street Fighter Cross Tekken. A uh, fighting game long in the making. Every fan wanted to see. And it eventually became something everybody wanted to play. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> That's uh, why we... Real quick, Capcom projected their sales based on the assumption that everyone who bought a Street Fighter game and everyone who bought a Tekken game combined as if there is no overlap between those two groups and uh, as if uh, no one who liked one series wouldn't buy this series. So got tried to sell gem packs and uh, as a first early attempt at uh, eternal play always paying them money and gems were uh, banned Uh, from most tournaments i know everything jr says and it brings me pain because i will be working at that company in a few weeks 10 years ago Mm. including on this game so what i'm saying is patreon.com slash laser time as we go through games in a more private environment last but definitely not leastly um, one of the biggest gaming experience, the best gaming experiences I've ever had. Not so much Mass Effect Infiltrator on iOS and Droid, which was a very weird way to try and boost your support for the end of Mass Effect 3. Was this, uh, was the iOS game the first, like, what if we combine our iOS game with our AAA game? Because I can't think of one. Yeah, it, it, it had happened before, but the big thing about it is like the progress you would make in Infiltrator, the iOS game, would count towards your forces for the final mission ended up being pretty irrelevant but like it did work and most at at that point it was practically illegal for video game environments to talk to one another because you have to get apple to cooperate with pc ps3 microsoft which they never wanted to do and but ea was it's the first time i remember anything that 
like that, even though, again, it's pretty inconsequential. Happens a lot nowadays, but still not often enough. But Mass Effect 3 is out, and that I can't think of a, a happier experience than living with a former Laser Time co-host, Tyler Wilde, and we're both playing this game in kind of one weekend in different rooms. <laughs> and exp- and having slightly different experiences and then like running out of the room like where are you I'm like I'm at, I'm right here I'm not there yet don't tell me don't tell me don't tell me and like all right as soon as you're done come get me and then we t- <laughs> we talk cuz in mass effect the choices you make are different the you, it means different characters can be mostly it means different characters can be with you the story unfolds relatively similar it was great and just all in one weekend and i remember like i played this game and so and was so happy i cleaned my whole house like partitioned my hard drive afterwards like i've never enjoyed myself that much for that length of time to where i feel like man i have no problem fulfilling my responsibilities now i, I don't enjoy myself <laughs> this much ever what did you think of the ending personally i thought it was it was great i think i think it was gamers being absolute babies and wanted a Nathan Drake making a joke walking into the sunset. Instead, everybody, a game, the Mass Effect promoted itself as a game where you could change the outcome of the story. And you can, but in the middle, there kind of needs to be the same beginning and a relatively similar end. Otherwise, you can't really go anywhere from here unless, we've seen games do that before, but they, if they want to make another one, they have to pick one ending. So instead, they right. you kind of are all everyone is funneled into the same ending where their, their guy dies. And I watched people kick and scream about that. Why did my main, you know, they were being a little more articulate, but I think they were really adjusting poorly to the main character dying at the end. And that that's ult- ultimately what they were doing. And that every, and that everybody's main character died at the end. Everyone had the same experience, made them even more mad. And when we, Diana, you don't even know this. There was so much outcry. EA had to make a free downloadable ending <sighs> to appease people. And that's that ending is literally terrible. It is it is awful. It is it's oh. what it's what happens when studios respond to that kind of like internet toxicity in a way that's positive, but it's just banal and awful. You, you tell me, Jr. Uh, the thing is, I've only played about three hours of any Mass Effect game. Oh, uh, when the, I first got my Oculus Rift, I uh, tried it out with Mass Effect One. And was blown away because it felt like I was on a space station. It felt like I was walking around this alien environment. And I never really progressed that because I just didn't have the time. I did post on the Mass Effect Reddit thread. And people are still overwhelmingly not happy with the ending. Uh, and I, I, I get it. Say they're not furious at it anymore, but that it is a bad, bad ending. And if you look at the timeline, this did result in a change in how developers take feedback because of fan outreach Mm -hmm. you know for good or bad it did change the way conversations between fans and publishers was made i think yeah and uh i I remember yeah i had had to do like star wars writer gary widow was so pissed he came into pc gamer and did a podcast with us because it's like i don't think people understand how things are written or how things are written for games because it can't be totally open-ended with everything like there there has we can't make different uh playable endings for everyone that is completely infeasible but it, it ended up kind of putting some salt into mass effect which i think was one of the best franchises of that generation and is the perfect melding of star wars and star trek the headiness and hmm. politics mixed with fucking great action uh, amazing action but like part the greatest part about the game even better than the action is the conversations you're allowed to have 
in any way you want. And I should, of course, throw out, our listeners probably already know this, but you carry over your saves from Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2 and your mm -hmm. save from Mass Effect 2 to Mass Effect 3. And that's still a rare thing in video games, mm -hmm. but it was virtually unheard of when the original Mass Effect trilogy came out. So you, you had a lot of people who had put in literally hundreds of hours into their character. Mm -hmm. And then they get to an ending that's the same as people who had a completely different playthrough. But the guy so, mm -hmm. made a sacrifice to save the entire universe. What hero's journey did you really expect to be better than that? Oh, I got <laughs> married and uh, settled down by the space beach. Like, like <laughs> where do you think this is going? Hypothetically, if the ending had been no cutscene, it would have just been walking along, talking to characters like you did in the middle of the game, and you got different dialogue based on where you go. No big mm -hmm. cutscene, just like you get various different dialogue options that says like, oh, how about this? A American graffiti ending where you uh. just get text about this happened to this person, <laughs> this happened to that. Died uh, in Vietnam. And it's completely <laughs> different based upon your playthrough. Would that yeah. have pissed people off? Probably. Because okay. there, there was some DLC that, you know, you can't bring certain voice actors back, all that stuff. Because mm. uh, it, yeah. it was kind of celebrity set it at the time. It just like, I think people got the wrong idea. And it's part of the hype machine of EA and Mass Effect that you could choose what really happens. Like, not really. Because even with the, the hard drive saving or the saves from each game, you're kind of just bringing over the characters you let live and leaving the characters you let die. Whereas any other game that has a multiple endings and makes a sequel, they have to like eventually select... There's one ending we're basing the next game on. Sorry, that's the one that's canon. And Mass Effect had it both ways, but it also, you couldn't really choose that much. You just kind of, your actions dictated not even where so much where you go, but who you brought with you. And your crew is, you'll, you'll end up loving them. Most people still have action figures. I still see Normandy jackets all over the place. It's just odd that that franchise kind of like burned real hot and it's kind of for 10 years and went away. Uh, I hope to see it come back again because I think, Mass Effect's one of the greatest series of the last 10 years. I, yeah. I should also throw out that in 3, if you want, you can be an openly gay character who has gay sex. Yep. And as far as I know, that's the first AAA game where that's true? I, I don't know, just because like there were like... It comes down to like the game did lightly depict sex, and you could see two people lie down together and remove clothing, not so much like nudity and gyrating. No, well, and that's I, not common in games. No, I mean, no, that, is, uh... I think that aspect had definitely never happened before. No one had, in a mainstream game had bothered to model. But I think, you know, you've always been able, in other games, you've been able to off-screen fuck whoever you want and kind of romance people. But this really did help seal the deal and make sex into an objectified game. So <laughs> gameplay element. So I, I don't know what's good or bad. I just, I, I think Mass Effect's worth appreciating. And there's, an, uh, if you see the legendary collection on sale, that's the first three games for new consoles. I would recommend buying them. Um, usually pretty cheap. Whew. Uh, we are almost done with 302010 this week. But first, I got to tell you to go to patreon.com slash later time, where we usually talk this much about games. I can't wait to talk about this with uh, Michael and Maddie of Video Game Apocalypse uh, every Friday. Lots of Elden Ring talk this week, as you might expect. I know Michael was de definitely playing Mass Effect as well, so I I we'll eventually have to talk about that when we catch up on the 302010 Games Edition. We give that to our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. You got two new newish bonus times over there. We're talking with, about the gritty reboot of Bel Air with the hosts of Live from the Pool House, Sonya, Valentine, and T.L. Foster. That is one bizarre piece of business. And then I'm talking to, to Maddie a little bit about uh, you know our feelings on... Uh, encroaching war in Europe as well as 
The Jaws, which Jaws ride is better? Universal Studios Hollywood, Universal <laughs> Studios Florida. The important things. <laughs> the important thing. And uh, Laser Time is going to be like all movie focused about, about until the Oscars, which, oh boy, gearing up, halfway there. I personally have seen just over half the movies uh, nominated for picture. Um, have you? Anyway, Diana, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010 Podcast. That's 302010 Podcast. Next week, oh, God, we might have to like break it into two episodes or something. There is so much. The The run of bad movies is officially over, though. We have some great movies next week. You know, they make movies out of TV shows pretty often, and they usually fail. But they don't all have Channing Tatum trying to pretend he's a teenager. Oh, I, th- I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. Then we have a couple really good foreign films. I'll just throw that out. We have the beginning of two long-running series, including the most successful adaptation of video game to film franchise of all time. Oh, no. One of the biggest, well critically acclaimed most important shows of the 2000s. And on top of all of that, we have a movie I... I, I there, there's a lot of movies where I will just rant and rave about how much I love them, mm-hmm. and uh, rewatching this one, I think this is a bona fide classic okay. film <laughs> in which Vincent LaGuardia Gambini goes down south to free two youths. Yes, I, I said youths. I don't know what any of Yudes. these are, and I can't youths <laughs> Yudes. two youths. You know, um, two youths. What is a youth? I don't know yeah. what any of this means. No looking I don't ahead. Have... <laughs> Do you have a suit made of some kind of cloth, <laughs> sir? <laughs> Oh, I get it. I love Often this movie. Regarded by lawyers as the best trial movie of all time. Yes, I heard uh, this. Uh, Jonathan Lynn, the director, he also directed Clue. I heard an interview with him where he was talking about how many times he gets invited to come to law schools to talk, <laughs> and like the place is cr- just packed. And he's like, "I'm just a comedy guy. Why are you so happy?" <laughs> okay, I'm glad you like my little movie. I don't know what accent I'm doing. He's British. I don't know. It was adorable. Marcel the Shell. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am so happy. I'm going to rewatch this movie right now. I seriously think it's it's a fucking classic. And hmm. don't get a lot of those these days, especially in comedies. Yeah. Uh, JR, anyway, what, what about okay. you? Where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. You can also listen to my podcast, Talking Terrific Television, a chronological examination of The Sopranos. This week, we are covering Remember When. That's where Paulie and Tony go on a road trip to Florida, and they talk about the past. They say Remember When is the lowest form of conversation. What? <laughs> such a dick line. Such a such dick an asshole. Line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that show. I, Jr. Talking to her of television, not The Sopranos. I could take or leave it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will have a guest on Laser Time who is just now watching Sopranos. So we will talk a little more about that. And yeah, like we got to we got to close out of this stuff. But first, we got to tell you during this period, March fourth uh, through the tenth, who lived and who died. Starting with who died. Who'd be yeah, dead? With who died in 1992, we lost a uh, former Israeli prime minister and Nobel Peace Prize winner Menachem Begin. Mm. He was 85. I just love saying Menachem. Menachem. In 2012, we lost propagandist Andrew Breitbart, who was 43. Oh, I had to go double check. Was it like because he died of heart failure, but he's 43? Was it like coke cocaine? And pop- nope. No. Nope. I think he was shocked to learn he had a heart and he dropped that. <laughs> like yeah, a, like... I'm gonna be that bitch. Okay. Yeah, like if the Grinch were Republican. 
And Look, it, 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 he's at the intersection of Milo Yiannopoulos and Steve Bannon. Of yep. course, I hate that bitch. He's one of the worst people ever and did uh, he's terrible needed. service to all information and yeah. journalism. Yeah. Uh, but on the op- opposite end of the spectrum. But um, we have two wonderful oh, people yeah. who live to be like twice as old as him. Uh, we lost Ralph McQuarrie, who is 82. If you don't know that name, he's why Star Wars looks like it does. Mm-hmm. He He's the... Uh, concept artist kind of yeah concept artist thank mm-hmm. you i want to say graphic designer but yeah he's the concept artist for all of the star wars movies and yep his paintings are quite beautiful and then uh, we also lost robert sherman of the songwriting sherman brothers who is 86 i believe he was the last sherman brother he's jason schwartzman uh, or bj novak um sorry no one saw that mary poppins movie that i can't yeah, even remember the name good. of Right. There's a great documentary on Disney Plus about him. Yes, the oh, what's it called? The Sherman Brothers documentary. I think it's just the Sherman Brothers. Okay, yeah, huh. it's very good. Nice. Uh, yeah, so all the all the Mary Poppins songs, all the I think they wrote "It's a Small World," so we kind of hate them too. But you know, everyone like Mary Poppins. And they wrote uh, if you if you were, they brought their talents over to the Snoopy movies of the '70s, which has great music. Huh. Why don't Snoopy come home? Come home, come home. Sorry, going now to birthdays. Bubba, the birthdays. <laughs> Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Let's talk about somebody having a birthday turning sixty-eight this week. Almost, almost nice. Almost nice. Almost nice. Born March fourth, nineteen fifty-four, in Toronto. She was the sixth of seven kids. She understudied Gilda Radner at Second City in Toronto. Was offered Saturday Night Live in eighty-one and turned it down. Candace Bergman. Yep. Uh, she did eventually host in 1991 with musical guest R.E.M. and the 1992 Halloween show musical guest 10,000 Maniacs. Oh, fuck me. Now, weirdest thing I have ever heard about a celebrity. She has uh, sinus inversus, which is where your organs are a mirror image of where they're supposed to be. So her heart's supposed to be on the left. Her heart's on the right. Whoa. That should be written into yeah. a movie where she survives a shooting. Exactly. She to be dead. Oh. Also found out uh, Enrique Iglesias has that. And there was somebody else. Oh, um, Donny Osmond. Yep. Heart's huh. not where it should be. People are still alive. Yep. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Okay. So movies of hers we have talked about. Heartburn, Over the Edge, Monster's House, Where the Wild Things Are, Pippi Longstocking. Catherine Keener? Nope. No. Killers, Home Fries, Away We Go, Penelope. They're about to get easier. Christina Ricci? Nope. She's not 68. All right. <laughs> She's in Dick Tracy, tiny role. Kim Bassinger, Madonna. Nope. Betsy's Wedding, Orange County. Lily Beetlejuice. Tomlin? No. Nope. Beetlejuice, where she met her husband. Winona Ryder. Production designer, Bo Welch, again. No. 68. <laughs> Not Gina Davis? Nope. Not, oh, there's Catherine only, O'Hara. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, you're running out of women in that movie. Yes. It is Catherine <laughs> O'Hara. Yes. I'm glad someone finally got it at Beetlejuice because the other ones were waiting for Guffman Best in Show for your consideration at oh. Home Alone. I thought you were yes. the other. The only other woman in Beetlejuice is Robert Goulet's wife. I was like, you're <laughs> literally out of women. Uh, <laughs> How could you forget Catherine O'Hara and Beetlejuice? She's so fucking good. Oh no, she's the best. I mean, that's that's where I discovered her, and then Home Alone, and then I went backwards. Yeah, uh, you got to go back SCTV. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Yeah, I think it's like her Wikipedia page. They just list her impersonations from SCTV and every single one of them. Even if you haven't seen it, just thinking about it like makes you happy. Like, I would like to see that. <laughs> I want to see Catherine O'Hara imitate that person. That would be fun. Oh, I and... love SCTV. Happy birthday, Catherine O'Hara. I had no idea that your heart is on the right side. Please don't get shot. Uh, so I won that, yet JR gets to pick the song we close out with. Unbelievable. 
You promised him last week I because did. we wouldn't play the cut song from the Lorax. Oh God. I'm gonna go with yeah. I Will Survive by Cheap Trick from the Gladiator soundtrack because nice. it is perfect 80s cheese is, in the 90s. Is that a cover? <laughs> no, no. Okay. It's it, it's uh, it's an original song for Gladiator the movie. I'm, awesome. I'm, look, I have I think two soundtracks that I love, and Cheap Trick is on both of them on vinyl, mm. so I'm not gonna complain. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been the show. Cheap Trick's going to take us out. Uh, consider becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Listening to our other shows. Uh, visiting us on Twitter. Or maybe telling a friend about the show. We do appreciate your listening. Especially if this is a long one. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. 